Ladies and gentlemen, it is Thursday, February 8th, 2024. This is the InfoWars War Room, brought to you by InfoWarsStore.com. We are 271 days away from the presidential election, and this might be, well, I would say this is no doubt the busiest news day of the 2024 calendar year so far. In fact, it's redonkulous how much news and how every single one of these stories is imperative. And if Tucker Carlson could have picked a worse day to drop his interview with Vladimir Putin, I don't think he could have. But that's how it goes in live media. Let me just try to run through everything we've got here. This is breaking right now. The special counsel, Robert Herr, who's been investigating the Biden classified documents case, has released his findings plus the evidence. This is unreal. The crime that they're going after Donald Trump of taking classified documents illegally, which he didn't do. He was the president. Joe Biden is caught red-handed doing. The entire special counsel report admits Joe Biden got caught stealing classified documents, having them illegally in his home. I mean, it's it's in the report. And then the conclusion is there will be no charges. And it also admits part of the reason they will not be charging Joe Biden is because he's too mentally incompetent to stand trial. What? Yeah. So, okay, we got to find a way to speed through that. And then there's more of the evidence involved in the special counsel where they went to Biden's garage that is incredibly disheveled. I mean, I guess that's that's essentially Hunter Biden. He's he's the one that was living in that house or, or whatever the deal is. Or why did Hunter Biden even have the documents? So really, it's actually Hunter Biden had illegal documents. Joe Biden took the documents illegally from the archives, was storing them at the house that Hunter Biden was living in, and, and in a disheveled what you can imagine a crackhead's garage might look like. I mean, these headlines that are breaking right now as I go live are incredible. Biden willfully kept classified info, would come off as elderly man with poor memory at trial, but no charges. And they're still going after Donald Trump. Okay, so speaking of that, the Supreme Court was hearing the case to have Trump removed from the Colorado ballot today. That was huge. That was massive. That debate went on for hours. And, I mean, I just don't, I, you know. This is all so incredible. So Joe Biden commits crimes. He's above the law. So all the, all these arguments of no one's above the law, it, it's, it's wrong. Joe Biden is clearly above the law. Hunter Biden is clearly above the law. Now you have a situation where Colorado Democrats or Hawaii Democrats, they just tried to get Trump off the ballot. I mean, Democrats have tried to remove Trump from the ballot in like 15 states. And this is the precedent setting case, Colorado at the Supreme Court trying to get Trump off the ballot. And so Democrats just want to say, if we don't want you on the ballot, we're going to take you off the ballot. If there's a candidate we don't want on the ballot, we're just going to take him off the ballot. Doesn't matter if he's already won a presidential election. Doesn't matter if he's won two presidential elections. Doesn't matter if he's had a record number of votes. Doesn't matter if he has the biggest rallies of all time. The Democrats don't want him on the ballot. They don't want the American people to be able to vote for him. They just remove him from the ballot. I mean, total authoritarianism, one-party state, complete corruption. And, and, and overall, it went well for Trump today. Even the most liberal judges were kind of questioning the whole thing. 
But still, it's such a clown show. The conservative judges up there even kind of hearing the arguments like they don't know what's going on. Like it's not political persecution of Donald Trump. Like it's not total authoritarian of the Democrats' party to try to just remove their top opposition off the ballot. Okay, so we got all that going on. Uh, <laughs> James O'Keefe with an unbelievable report from inside an illegal immigrant camp where they're getting all this money to take care of them. Just stunning stuff. You have another reporter, Muckraker. He was on with Alex Jones earlier inside an illegal immigrant camp. And guess what they admit on camera? They're told they can vote. The Democrat lawyers that bring the illegal immigrants into the country by the tens of millions tell them that they'll be allowed to vote and to vote for Joe Biden. And I got that on camera. Oh, did I mention the Tucker Carlson, Vladimir Putin interview also drops tonight? Yeah, it's a little busy around here today, isn't it? But, folks, we're standing up for our rights. We're standing up for your rights. We're standing up for all of our freedoms and our children. If you don't spread the word about the broadcast, if you don't share the links, if you don't buy products at InfoWarsShore.com, then I'm not griping at you. I'm just saying, what are you doing? Less than 1% of you ever buy a product at InfoWarsStore.com. If just a half a percent more would go buy a book or a film or a T-shirt or get some of our great supplements and then reorder them because they really work, just try it. We would be able to do so many things. I'm praying to God that he'll touch your heart to decide to support us. Infowarstore.com. It's been sold out. It's back in stock. Reformulated even stronger. Nitric boost to clean out your blood and your whole body. Vasodilation. It's got a lot of wonderful side effects, and I mean good ones. I'm going to leave it at that. It is powerful, so be careful with it. Next Level Foundational Energy, InfoWarsStore.com or 888-253-3139. There is a man who is whatever America needs him to be. Not the hero we deserve, but the hero we need. Nothing less than a knight. Shining. They'll hunt him. They'll set the dogs on him. Because the truth is the greatest threat they face. It's the war room. With Owen Schroyer. Yeah, if I sound like an auctioneer up here today, that's because that's the only way I'm going to be able to get all this news off in three short hours. So let's not waste any time. Let's just dig right into this. And let's start with the breaking news right as I go live. Joe Biden is a criminal. Joe Biden has been caught illegally taking classified information from White House documents and archives, storing them illegally in his private home where Hunter Biden was living with virtually no security whatsoever. Even the cardboard box, even the cardboard box that they were stuffed into wasn't even being held together. It was falling apart like it was wet or something. So it's obviously a crackhead's garage. It was Hunter Biden that was living there. So let's do this. Go ahead and pull up all the headlines right now, the New York Post, all, all the headlines on this story right now, because this broke right as I went live. Special counsel Robert Hur's report admitting Joe Biden committed crimes, but he's not going to charge him because some people are above the law. And they all just happen to be Democrats, by the way. Some people are above the law. Their last names are Biden. So the classified documents report comes out today, the Department of Justice, Robert Hur, and it finds Biden guilty on multiple accounts, but no charges. Because Joe Biden is above the law. 
Joe Biden is above the law. And I'm also going to go through this whole thread right here. We're going to show you the new pictures that just came out. It's, it's, it's exactly what we saw before, but this is a crackhead's garage. Hunter Biden, he's a crackhead. And he had top secret classified documents being stored illegally at the house he was living in that Joe Biden illegally took from the White House archives. And this is all reported in the Department of Justice's report, and he will face no charges. But Trump, who didn't do any of that and was president and has the Presidential Records Act to protect him, when he took the documents to Mar-a-Lago, he's still facing charges. But yeah, that's a crackhead's garage where these documents were being stored, quote-unquote, and as you can see, there was no safety protocols here. There was no security protocols here. They didn't really care that they were sitting out in a, in a box that could have fallen apart at any moment and spilled out all over the garage floor where Hunter Biden might have been cracked out after a, a drug binge. Might have used it to uh, wipe some of the drool off his face. Says a lot, doesn't it? Says a lot. What's crazier is not only in the documents do they admit Joe Biden committed these crimes, they also have to admit he's too mentally unfit to go in front of a judge or a jury. And they say he's too elderly, too mentally unfit, and has a poor memory. What? Biden willfully kept classified info. Illegally would come off as elderly man with poor memory at trial, scathing report says. Yeah, scathing report, but no charges. But no charges. Biden not facing charges over classified documents. Over concerns, jurors will see a well-meaning elderly man with poor memory. Oh, well-meaning. <laughs> well-meaning. He didn't even know what was going on. Oh, right, and that's why he can't stand trial. Oh, I... Oh, yeah. I don't know how these documents get here. Don't you know this is the land of the free and the home of the... Well, uh, you, you know the thing. He, he's talking about meeting with French presidents that have been dead for 20-plus years. He's trying to give shout-outs to Democrat members of Congress that are dead. He's, he's asking for Democrats to come up on the stage that aren't even at the event, saying, oh, I just met with her moments ago. Come on up here. She's not even there. Never was. The guy that falls upstairs, the guy that falls down on graduation stages. Elderly man with a poor memory. Devastating Department of Justice report says Biden did not remember when he was vice president and when his son died. Oh, he doesn't remember any of it, but, but he's mentally fit enough to be president for four more years. He's mentally fit and ready to be president. And the media runs with that argument. And Kamala Harris runs with that argument, and they all say, oh, these talks of Joe Biden's age and mental capacity, this is just Donald Trump propaganda. It's just Russian propaganda. But then, oh, Joe Biden in a special counsel investigation, oh, gee, I, I, I don't know anything. I'm just an old man here. I don't have a memory of anything. I, I might have committed crime. I don't know. I, who am I again? What, oh, somebody wipe my butt? Damning classified documents probe reveals Joe Biden forgot when his son Bo died. 
I guess that's why he keeps lying to people about it, including the Gold Star families that just lost their sons and daughters because of the stand-down drone attack in Jordan. Yeah, it was a stand-down. That came out, mainstream news. They admit, they, yeah, we stood down. We let the we let the drone go through and attack them and kill them. Biden, Biden in charge of things. That's how it goes. Oh, I forgot. Forgot my son died. But but that's funny. He forgot his son died. But then he calls the Gold Star families and he tells them, my son died in Iraq. His son died of brain cancer. I think it was in New York. And he knows that. But when he's asked about all these illegal documents that he has illegally at his crackhead son's house, he says, I don't know anything. Who am I? What happened? I've got a son. What? Who? Oh, I'm the president too? Oh, gee, but I got I pooped. <sighs> this is this is sick stuff. Let's go ahead and go to one of the best lawyers around when it comes to exposing federal corruption, Technofog, great follower, uh, great follow on Twitter. Special counsel Robert Hur's report has been released. Biden willingly, will, willfully retained marked and unmarked classified documents at his home. This quote, risked serious damage to America's national security. Yeah, anyway, they were being held in the garage of a crackhead. Yet Biden will not be charged. Here are the highlights. And then it goes into, from the report, quote, there is evidence after his vice presidency, so he doesn't have the presidential records protection, Mr. Biden willfully retained marked classified documents about Afghanistan and unmarked classified handwritten notes in his notebooks, both of which he stored in insecure places in his home, which is actually where Hunter, the crackhead, was living at the time and, and, and doing God knows what with God knows who. There are tapes. In 2017, Biden told a writer he found all the classified stuff downstairs. He just found them there. Oh, somebody put this here. I've been framed. I've been framed. These documents were later found by the FBI protecting the Bidens. Her. This evidence shows Biden willfully retained these marked classified documents about Afghanistan. It, it goes on. Oh, I just found them downstairs. Photos of the Virginia home show that the lowest level downstairs where Mr. Biden told Zwanitzer he had just found all the classified stuff, including rooms that Mr. Biden used to work as storage spaces. So it's it's the garage. We've seen the photos before. Hunter was likely living in this house at the time. That's why it looks like a crackhead's garage. And there is virtually no security it's a garage door and that's it and it's and it's and it's even been reported that the garage door was left open most of the time must be nice to be a biden you're above the law this evidence provides grounds to believe that mr biden willfully retained the marked classified documents willfully retained willfully retained and they have the evidence and they still won't charge him he knew he kept classified information in notebooks stored in his house and he knew he was not allowed to do so there is also evidence that mr biden willfully disclosed classified information in his notebooks to his ghostwriter by reading it aloud to him and and then the ghostwriter was asked about this as well 
and then found out because he didn't know what was going on that this was part of an investigation into Biden and deleted the evidence. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So Joe Biden is bragging to his ghostwriter because he doesn't even write his own books, I guess. Joe Biden is bragging to his ghostwriter about these top top secret classified notes that he has, and he's just reading them out loud to his ghostwriter. Does the ghostwriter have clearance? Biden's excuse to the special counsel amounts to a criminal false statement, but he won't be charged. Biden explained that when he described material in his notebooks as classified, he did not actually mean classified. Oh, I just said classified. I didn't mean it. What? So you're admitting you're a liar. But it was classified. Biden tells the ghostwriter, Zwanitzer, these are classified. These notes I'm reading to you for the book are classified. And then when special counsel says, what did you mean when you told him they were classified? That shows that you knew they were classified. He said, no, 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 no. I had no idea they were classified. That's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. I'm Joe Biden. I'm a liar. Recordings from 2017 captured Biden giving his ghostwriter classified info multiple times. Multiple times. Biden on the recording admitting it was classified on the recording. From the report, Mr. Biden appeared to explain to Zwanitzer that a notebook entry related to a long meeting at the Security Council on it was probably classified. During the February 16, 2017 recorded conversation, Mr. Biden read aloud to Zwanitzer portions of the notebook entry that contained classified information. Mr. Biden turned to the same notebook entry and read additional classified portions aloud verbatim on recording to his ghostwriter. This evidence shows that Mr. Biden disclosed classified information to Zwanitzer, who was not authorized to receive it. That's directly from the report. All it goes on. Obstruction of justice. Biden's ghostwriter deleted digital audio recordings of his conversations with Mr. Biden after he learned of her's appointment as special counsel. Her declined to press charges from the document. At some point after learning of special counsel's appointment and investigation, Mr. Biden's ghostwriter, Mark Zwanitzer, deleted the evidence. The digital audio recordings of his conversations with Mr. Biden during the writing of the book, Promise Me Dad, the recordings had significant evidentiary value. Isn't it amazing what Joe Biden can get away with? They admit he committed a crime, but we're not going to charge. They admitted his ghostwriter committed a crime, but they're not going to charge. They admit that he's too mentally unfit and old and elderly to stand trial, but he's going to run for president. Biden's serious cognitive issues are exposed. He did not remember when he was vice president. He forgot when his term began. He did not remember even within several years when his son Bo died. So he's either he's either a liar or he's incompetent to serve four more years or both. Her declined to press charges against Biden for a number of reasons, saying a jury would not likely convict. Biden is too old to prosecute, but he's good to be president, though. And, and since when do you not move forward with charges because a jury wouldn't convict? 
a jury could believe he did not willfully retain the documents. Well, that's that's for the, the trial to decide. A jury would see Biden as an elderly old man with a poor memory. In other words, Joe Biden is above the law. And special counsel Robert Herr knows it. Or maybe this is even worse than it appears. Remember when they investigated Hillary Clinton with the illegal servers and then the deletion of all of the emails and the evidence? And then James Comey said, yeah, Hillary Clinton committed a crime, but no prosecutor in their right mind would prosecute her. Why? Because they'd end up dead So while the Democrats are going after Donald Trump for crimes he did not commit, they are letting Joe Biden go for crimes that he did commit. That's where we're at in the United States of America. Since when do you let somebody off for committing a crime by saying, well, I don't know if a jury would convict even though I have all the evidence right here. Well, even though I have all the evidence that he committed these crimes and he's president of the United States and he's running for four more years, well, he's just too old and feeble and mentally unstable and he doesn't even know where he is half the time. So ah, even though he committed all these crimes, we're just going to not press charges. Or maybe Robert Hur just doesn't want to die. Maybe Robert Hur got the James Comey message. No reasonable prosecutor would go after Joe Biden. Why? Because they would... Because they would end up shooting themselves in the head, chopping themselves up, putting themselves into two different duffel bags and throwing themselves into the river. Suicide. And then Hillary Clinton goes on the news for an interview talking about Tucker Carlson is like, it's like, doesn't, doesn't Tucker know the Russians? They kill their political opposition. They kill people who threaten their power. And everybody looks at Hillary like, huh, <laughs> that's ironic. That's something. Okay. We'll move on from that for now. Meanwhile, you had Donald Trump and the argument from Colorado to remove him from the ballot being heard in front of the Supreme Court today. You know, look, I, I got to just pause for a second here because... It's really hard to put this into words. It's really hard for, for most people to even comprehend because they've never faced it head on or they've never have to live through it. But the, but the levels of corruption that we're dealing with right now are so dangerous, you really can't even comprehend, quite frankly. And even I, who've, who've been through it and, and talk about it and cover it and research it, even I can barely comprehend. But 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 I comprehended it enough to know we are living in the most corrupt times in the history of this nation and the most dangerous times in the history of this nation. Tucker Carlson can't even go interview Vladimir Putin without getting threatened. Donald Trump can't even run for president without them trying to destroy him when Joe Biden is out here committing crimes and proving that, yes, some people are above the law. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is rounding up and locking up thousands of Americans for their speech. Locking up the political opposition, trying to remove the political opposition off the ballot. It's the entire Democrat Party. 
In Oregon, they just removed 18 Republicans off the ballot. They just said, nope, Republicans don't get to run in Oregon. Ask Peter Navarro. Ask Rudy Giuliani. Ask Victoria Townsend. We are dealing with such levels of power and corruption, ladies and gentlemen. And let me tell you the worst part about it. If the deep state views Joe Biden as a lame duck president, because they're obviously running him again, folks, and maybe this is actually their plan as we sit here and kind of scratch our heads like, how can they do it? Who will they replace him with? No, I, I think now, I think the plan is to, to run with Joe Biden. They're going to go with Joe. Maybe they pull off voter fraud and get him back in. Maybe not. No, the plan is, I, I think the plan is now roll with Joe Biden. Maybe Trump gets in. Maybe he doesn't. They don't, it doesn't even make a difference for their plan. Roll with Joe Biden. He's a lame duck president. Commit all sorts of atrocities, launder all kinds of money, all kinds of weapons, I mean, do the most diabolical, corrupt things that you can in the next 271 days while Joe Biden is in office. And then Joe will get blamed for everything. But his reputation doesn't matter. The reputation of his presidency doesn't matter. They can throw it away. They can devastate it. None of it matters. They will treat Joe Biden as a lame duck president, and they will commit all types of crimes, all types of atrocities, all types of evil in Joe Biden's name. And then, and then he'll just take all the blame for it, even though he doesn't even know what's going on. And they admit that in the special counsel's report. I think that's their plan here, folks. Oh, see, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I can't even. Chris Ray just had a special session. In fact, maybe I should go to that now. Chris Ray just had a special session with police and sheriffs where he told them that we are now living in the highest alert level of a terror attack that this nation has ever seen. Listen to Butler County, Ohio Sheriff, after meeting with Christopher Ray. This is unbelievable. Listen to this in clip 11. We'll start it all with, uh, my name is Rick Jones. I'm the Butler County Sheriff, Butler County, Ohio. Um, I just came back from a national sheriff's training in uh, D.C. Uh, three days ago, two days ago. We were briefed by the FBI director, Ray, the director of the FBI, and several federal agencies. There's 3,300 sheriffs in the United States. The president of the United States refuses to meet with the sheriff's of the 3,300, we have a hierarchy, we have a president, we have a vice president. President of the United States refuses to meet with the sheriffs. He also refuses to meet with the police chiefs of the United States. They have a hierarchy also. He refuses to meet with them to talk about border issues or talk about crime that's going on because of the border issue. We were also told by Mr. Ray, the FBI director, that there are more red flags going off now than before 9-11, okay? When I say red flags, meaning people that are here in this country that are wanting to do harm to us. We were also explained we're, in the, we're bombing two countries right now. Two countries. 
These people do not like us before this started. There's thousands of people here from other countries, 160 different countries. They're here not to be our friends. Some of them are coming because they're wanting to come here to the best country in the world, the way we see it. Some are coming here to do harm to us. And we were told by the FBI director, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. We were also told five sheriffs went. So there you go. The the press conference goes on. I mean, folks... (laughs) 10 million people have crossed the border illegally under Joe Biden. If 0.1% of 1% want to commit violent crimes or terrorist attacks in this country, then there's thousands of them. And Ray is admitting it to law enforcement. And Joe Biden, who's facilitating the whole thing, breaks the law, and they say, well, we're still not going to charge him. Well, nitric oxide is a key. It's made by our own bodies again. It's made by L-citrulline and, and L-arginine, the amino acids. So we're fed. You can, you can get it from beet powder and other things. The nitric oxide relaxes the endothelium, the vasculature. It relaxes the vein. It's a natural blood pressure. In fact, I use the two, your InfoWars. I keep that on my shelf. And I feed myself the Cardio Miracle, which is just for straight food. It's a different formulation than that one and the two together are a one-two punch so you get in your food the ability to make what you need and no more that was dr judy mikovitz top research scientist without me even asking her telling everybody how incredible this product is and it's finally back in stock nitric boost is 40 percent off at infowarstore.com and it doesn't just have the vasodilation opening up your arteries and your veins to clean things out it does so many incredible things god gave us this compound so many of the big things you see out there promoted the media are based on the natural ingredients that are already in this product so get your amazing nitric boost today at InfoWarsTour.com. You need to experience the health, the vitality, the stamina, the libido, everything that comes with nitric boost. You've looked at our formula. You, you like it? I did, and I do. Yes. Well, I, I'm not a scientist like you. What is? What do these compounds do creating nitrous oxide? What does it do? Um, it relaxes the vasculature. So the clot will go through and not restrict. It allows it to relax. It lowers the blood pressure. has the uh, toxic um, synthetic lipid nanoparticles similar to the one in the COVID shot. Prior to the COVID shot, the deadliest vaccine, we saw athletes dropping dead on the field, um, passing out, falling down, all the things. Yeah, why seeing. is it particularly? the athletes um, because they operate at oxygen max um, capacity max they're they're operating at such a high level in their mitochondria this is an energy production oxygen um, necessary disease um, so they create they, that's what they're finding they turbocharge the blood clots yep. and ischemia lack of oxygen so constricted blood vessels too because athletes are running they're constricted they're they're working so that the blood flows and it doesn't flow which is why your nitric oxide um product that new products i hope you'll show it because that's a very important thing to have for acute events be dissolve under the tongue give you an 
instant relaxing of your endothelium, your vasculature. Nitric Boost, exclusively available, 40% off right now, in stock, ready to ship. Nitric Boost, InfoWarsStore.com. Try it, support the InfoWar, it's a 360 win. Ladies and gentlemen, we're in a war against the globalist. And people can't identify who's a patron, who isn't. We want to identify as pro-human and anti-globalist. We want to let people know we're 1776 Part 2. That's why I designed this amazing 1776 red, white, and blue Gadsden flag shirt so you can support the info war and meet like-minded people everywhere when you wear it. When you wear these shirts, it creates an amazing amount of energy, and it's quite the adventure. So get your 1776 shirt right now at InfoWarsStore.com. And get your Team Humanity InfoWars limited edition shirt right now at InfoWarsStore.com. Ladies and gentlemen, this is antithetical, the complete opposite of what the globalists are pushing. So get both the Team Humanity and the 1776 Gadsden Snake shirts limited edition at InfoWarsStore.com right now. Spread the word, meet like-minded people, and fund the 1776 revolution worldwide. Receiving this transmission, you are the resistance. The beacon of truth in a world of deceit. It's the war room with Owen Schroyer. Alright, I'm about to go to some just a couple of these clips from today. I don't have the time to play all of them. We'll play a couple of clips from the Supreme Court hearing on the fight to get Donald Trump off the ballot. But, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you can probably tell I'm extremely charged up. I knew today was going to be a fast-paced transmission, and and who knows, we may even go uh, late tonight. Alex Jones is going to be joining me in studio in the next hour. We're going to be talking about the Tucker Carlson-Vladimir Putin interview and then airing it right here live on the show, live coverage with Alex Jones right here in the InfoWars Austin, Texas headquarters. So... Uh, I knew that I needed to get some extra fast-paced energy, and you know my source for that. TurboForce Plus, InfoWarsStore.com. It's 40% off right now, and it's your support there that keeps us on the air. But, yes, supporting us is very important, obviously. If you like this show, shopping at InfoWarsStore.com is imperative. But we have great products. Energy drinks are all the rage. You can't go to a gas station or anywhere without seeing them everywhere. And people are always looking for an energy edge, but... Most, if not all, the toxic energy drinks taste like battery acid. They've got the processed sugar. They've got the high fructose corn syrup, Turbo Force Plus. None of that but the good stuff and 10 hours of clean energy in one scoop. 10 hours of clean energy in one scoop. So I had to take, uh, I took about a scoop and a half. Before the show. Took about a scoop and a half before the show because I knew it was going to be fast-paced and uh, perhaps long-lasting. And so that's what TurboForce Plus does for me. InfoWarsStore.com, 40% off right now. All right. Let's go to just a couple moments here, and, and then I'll just kind of give you a brief recap because I was tuned into this earlier today. Here's Kavanaugh talking to the lead attorney against Trump representing the Colorado case to get him off the ballot. Um, hitting him with a bit of a reality check in clip two. 
He had the opportunity to call witnesses remotely. He didn't use all of his time at trial. There was ample process here, and this is how ballot access determinations in election cases are, are decided all the time. Okay. Uh, second question. Some of the rhetoric of your position, I don't think it is your position, but some of the rhetoric of your position seems to suggest unless the states can do this, no one can prevent insurrectionists from holding federal office. But obviously Congress has enacted statutes, uh, including one still in effect, Section 2383 of Title 18 prohibits insurrection. It's a federal criminal statute. And if you're convicted of that, you are, it says, shall be disqualified from holding any office. And so there is a federal statute on the books, but um, President Trump has not been charged with that. So what, what are we don't to care. make of that? Two things, Your Honor. Section 2383 was initially enacted about six. So they're trying to have Trump removed from the ballot for a crime that not only did he not commit, he hasn't even been charged with. That's how sick these people are. They don't care. They really believe they're above the law. And then they sit here and say, oh, Tucker's committing treason. Oh, Trump is an authoritarian. And then they're the ones that promote false information to get us into wars. They're the ones that take payments from countries all over the world to promote their propaganda, like Bob Menendez stuffing gold bullion into his jacket, leaving Egypt with it. They're the ones that lie about wars, get us into wars, and then profit massively with their stock portfolios like Nancy Pelosi. And then they sit there and they try to get Trump removed from the ballot because he doesn't engage in any of that. And look, folks, I've said this before, I'm not a political purist. Political purism is a cancer to any political movement. I can sit here and bash Trump all day long. I could sit here and be extra conspiratorial. Oh, well, he must be part of it. He must be part of the problem. He's just he's just a red herring to get us distracted. No, they really want Trump out of the picture. Trump is really not part of their club. Trump really wants to be the president of the United States of America. Yeah, he messed up big time during the COVID years. Yeah, he, he effed up big time letting the country get shut down. Yeah, there were a hundred different things he could have done better, but clearly he's the real deal. And, and and even for all of his flaws, they cannot have him anywhere near the White House again for four more years. And and now they're truly panicked because if he gets back in, they're afraid that he might actually come after the real criminals, and that would be them. And so that's why they're saying, oh, well, uh, Trump might come after the media now. No, no, no. Trump's going to go after criminals. The Democrats went after the media. Trump's going to go after criminals. So if you're a criminal and you're in the media, then, yeah, you might be scared. Here's Justice Gorsuch responding to the Colorado lawyer trying to get Trump off the ballot illegitimately in clip three. Three speaks about disqualification from holding office. You say he is disqualified from holding office from the moment it happens. Correct, but nevertheless... So, so it, it operates, you say that there's no, no legislation necessary. I thought that was the whole theory of your case. And no procedure necessary. It happens automatically. Well, certainly you need a procedure in order to have any remedy to enforce the disqualification, which is I under, That's a whole separate question. That's the de facto doctrine. doesn't work here. Okay, put that aside. He's disqualified from the moment, self-executing, done. And I would think that a person who would receive a direction from that person, the president, former president, in your view, 
would be free to act as he or she wishes without regard to that individual. I don't think so, because I think, again, the de facto Why? officer doctrine would nevertheless come into play to say this is... No, the de facto, that, w- that doesn't work, Mr. Murray, because de facto officer is to ratify the conduct that's done afterwards and, and, and insulate it from judicial review. Put that aside. I'm not going to say it again. Put it aside, okay? I think Justice Lee is asking a very different question, a more pointed one, and more difficult one for you, I understand, but I think it deserves an answer. On your theory... Would anything compel a, a lower official to obey an order from, in your view, the former president? I'm imagining a situation where, for example, a former president was, you know, a president was elected and they were 25 and they were ineligible to no, hold office, but no, nevertheless they were no, put into that no, office. No, we're talking about Section 3. And please don't change the hypothetical, okay? I'm, please don't change the hypothetical. I know I like doing it too, but please don't do it. Okay? Well, now, the, the point I'm trying to make is He's that, disqualified from the moment he committed an insurrection. Whoever it is, whichever party, it, that, that happens. Boom. It happened. What would compel, and I'm not going to say it again, so just try and answer the question. If you don't have an answer, fair enough, we'll move on. What would compel a lower official to obey an order from that individual? Because ultimately we have, pers- we have statutes and rules. Now look, I-, I was listening to this all morning, and it-, it-, it went both ways. It went a little bit both ways, and I... Unfortunately, there's so many other news stories and so many other stuff that I don't have time to cover it all. So let me just kind of give you a brief 90-second recap. Most of this was patty cake stuff, pathetic. And the only one that seems to be living in the real world on the Supreme Court is Clarence Thomas. The only one that seems to live in the real world right now is Clarence Thomas. Everybody else is playing these little patty cake games. It's frustrating. But even when, when Kagan and... Brown Jackson and and the the far left judges, even when they had their worst moments, and there were some bad moments, believe me, I mean, they wanted people to know that they don't like Trump and he's the bad guy, and everybody should know it, but but even they were kind of sitting on this like, you know, I, I don't know. So I, I, at first I assumed this was going to be a 5-4 decision. I'm not sure. Before before this hearing, I said this is going to be a 5-4 decision. Which way it goes, I don't know, but it's probably going to be 5-4. After hearing this, I'd say the odds are it's going to be 5-4 in Trump's favor. But now there's, there is a chance this could go 9-0 in favor of Trump. Now, anything short of 9-0 would be ludicrous. They're trying to have Trump removed from the ballot for a crime that he did not commit and has not been charged with. I mean, so it should be 9-0. The whole thing should be over with already. But as, as radical left as some of the commentary from the, the, the leftist Supreme Court judges were, even they were kind of like, yeah, I, you know, this is, uh, this is a dangerous precedent. And yeah, we have to admit that uh, there is no insurrection charge here. Now, we also have the comments from Donald Trump coming up on the other side of this break. Then Alex Jones, then Tucker Carlson, then Vladimir Putin. And, and, and who knows, somebody might crash through the roof of the studio today. I'm not perfect. I'm under a lot of stress. But if I didn't have the supplements we have, we promote, I wouldn't be able to continue to be on air. And when you go to InfoWarsStore.com, you are funding the tip of the spear in the fight against the globalists in an operation that the enemy admits has been the most effective at exposing them. Because we're fearless and we don't back down. We got God on our side. But God needs to work through you. You've got to make the decision to get great products you already need at InfoWarsStore.com. And that is a 360 win. Nitric Boost, without me even knowing, became our number three bestseller. 
because people loved it so much. They had such great effects. Got all these natural compounds that clean out the blood, open up your arteries and veins and capillaries, clean out your heart, your brain, everything. Well, we got an even better manufacturer. The other one was great, but one that's even better with even higher quality ingredients at a lower price. So I could never offer nitric boosts. It costs us so much to make. And now we can offer it for 40% off. Infowarstore.com, Nitric Boost, finally back in stock, 40% off out of the gates. I was recently on the air in a two and a half plus hour interview with Elon Musk. And he was talking about the globalist plan to depopulate, destroy our families and destroy civilization. I said, what do we call it, Elon? He said, I don't know. And I said, what about team humanity? What would you call the debate and discussion about a pro-human future? Just team humanity? Yeah, team humanity. Absolutely. He said, yeah. Let's call it Team Humanity. Well, I had the idea then to make the shirt. We've got two different limited edition variants of it. Team Humanity. And it's got the image of the nuclear family. Team Humanity. Infowars.com. 1776. 1776 worldwide. On the back it says Team Humanity. This is a great conversation starter. It's a great way to discuss Team Humanity versus the globalists. We get obsessed with sports and all these different groups to distract and divert us and make us tribal. But aren't we really just humanity and a pro-human future versus the globalists and you will eat the bugs and their deindustrial program. You will eat the bugs. If you stand against the open borders, the end of sovereignty, and the transgenderism, and the new world order, and the technocracy, and, and hearing that the age of humanity is over, then you are on Team Humanity. Get the limited edition shirts now at InfoWarsStore.com. It's a great conversation starter. You'll have amazing things develop, I predict, if you wear it out in public. And it keeps the show on the air. It's a fundraiser. So the only way this fails is if you don't go to InfoWarsStore.com and get your Team Humanity shirt right now. And it's not the only limited edition shirt we just put out. We just put out one more. And that shirt is incredible. My own new design. A red, white, and blue Gadsden rattlesnake flag, 1776. It's got the InfoWars flag. It's got the American flag. It's got the establishment of InfoWars. This is a great shirt to identify yourself as a patriot with others and to link up with other folks and to let the leftists and the globalists know we're on the ground and we are powerful. So both the new 1776 Gadsden flag shirt and the two different variants of Team Humanity shirts, limited editions for a limited time at InfoWars. Warstore.com. You get the new 1776 Gadsden shirt, red, white, and blue, original design, and get the new Team Humanity shirts. And I thank you all for your support because you are on Team Humanity. Please go to InfoWarsStore.com and get amazing products like Next Level Foundational Energy. If I don't have time to tell you about it, just go research it. It is incredible. Just get it and you will be amazed. And then at least you know you're funding the operation. Get a copy of my book. That keeps me on air. Signed or unsigned. Fundraisers to sign a copy. The Great Awakening. The plan to defeat the globalists and launch the next renaissance. Infowarsstore.com or 888-253-3139. If you are receiving this transmission, you are the resistance. against Donald Trump trying to have him removed for a ballot for a crime uh, from the ballot for a crime he didn't commit and hasn't been charged with. 
I now want to go to Mar-a-Lago. This is before he's going to travel to campaign ahead of Super Tuesday. And hear directly from Donald Trump in response to today's Supreme Court hearings. Uh, I just finished watching the Supreme Court. It was a beautiful thing to watch in many respects. It's unfortunate that we have to go through a thing like that. I consider it to be more election interference by the Democrats. That's what they're doing. Uh, the good news is we're leading virtually every poll. We're leading uh, the, I don't even know if we have any more. I'm not sure that we even have a Republican candidate, somebody running, but not making any impact. So as you know, we won Iowa. We won New Hampshire in records, and each one a record. Uh, we think we're going to do very well. I'm heading out right now to Nevada for the caucus and uh, the caucuses. And uh, I think we're going to do very well there. All polls indicate we're in the 90s, maybe more than the 90s. Uh, we certainly did well in a primary that didn't matter, where they voted very nicely. And we have tremendous support from the people of our country. Uh, they hate what's happening at the border. They hate what's happening. Just generally, we're not a respected country anymore. We're laughed at all over the world. They're laughing at us. And they hate what's happening. They hate seeing it. They love our country. They want it to come back. And we're going to do that. If you think about it, had the results of the election been different, that would be nice. Uh, you wouldn't have the Ukrainian situation with Russia. You wouldn't have had, you would not have had an attack on Israel, which was so horrible. You uh, would not have had inflation. You wouldn't have China talking about Taiwan. You wouldn't have any of the problems that we have today. And you certainly had a, a broke Iran, and now you have a very rich Iran. Iran was broke when I left. They had no money to give to Hamas. They had no money to give to Hezbollah. And now they, were, now they have 200 billion. Plus, as you probably know, people don't like to admit it, they certainly control Iraq. And Iraq has another 300 billion. So you have a very. A and very the Biden rich administration sent all that money and weapons into Ukraine that's been laundered into the Middle East now, too. No, Iraq should have never happened. That was a balance against Iran. And we blew out right. the balance. And now let's, Iran let, has. Let's pull out of this real Iraq. quick because there's just so much else to cover. We have Alex Jones coming up in studio as well. And. By the way, guys, just give me B-roll of clip 17 here. Laura Loomer was out in front of the Supreme Court today. And remember, she was on the show earlier this week. And she talked about this, and she's absolutely right. And look, I, I understand conservatives, generally speaking, Republicans don't really do protests unless it's a really big issue like, you know, the border invasion and, and wanting to come together for something like that or Trump speaking on the stolen election on January 6th. But you notice how uh, there are these leftist groups out there protesting Donald Trump, and it's the same story. They all have their paid-for, printed-off signs and, and, and massive uh, poster board and everything else, and this is all funded by the Democrat Party and their front groups. And the Republicans just don't even try. Ronna McDaniel's spending uh, millions of dollars on things that don't have any impact on politics or elections at all. They just make her lips and ass fat. So... It's really just pathetic. Now, on the flip side of that, the good news here is, say, let's say eight years ago, say four years ago, when these leftist groups would fund these anti-Trump protests, they would get hundreds of people, sometimes thousands of people. Ladies and gentlemen, there's like maybe 30 people out there against Trump this time. 
So this this anti-Trump hatred that they've been drumming up for for eight plus years now, it's truly fizzled out. I mean, they only have the dumbest of the dumb, the most pathetic of the. I mean, this is the bottom of the barrel that they're that they're scraping up to show up to these protests now. So eight years ago, you probably would have had hundreds, if not thousands, of of left tards out there protesting Donald Trump. Now they can barely even get fifty, if that. So that just shows you that their whole propaganda against Trump is not really working. The interest from the leftist radicals has has dissipated. And that's probably because they realized either Trump is not the boogeyman that they thought he was or or Biden is just as bad, especially with the stuff that's going on in the Middle East now, where, by the way, you have protesters outside of Blinken's house. They're calling it Occupy Blinken. By the way, that's the same group, guys. You remember, that's the same group that I confronted in D.C. in 2019 and shut them down and embarrassed them. And they were allowed to protest in the Capitol. And then I got arrested for having a piece of tape over on them. Remember that deal? Same group. Same group. But there's your Occupy Blinken. Go, go ahead and give me audio of that, too. Go, here's here's Occupy Blinken. The leftists are now outside of Blinken's house for for Hamas. Go ahead. They're loving it. Bloody Blinken. They say bloody Blinken. Shame. Shame. So there's more people protesting Blinken. There's more leftists. There's more Democrat voters protesting Blinken than there are Donald Trump today. So that kind of gives you an idea of where we're at as well. All right. I, I mean, there's still so much to cover here. Where, where should I go? Ex-Georgia Representative warns Trump immunity ruling could jeopardize Bush and Obama because, yeah, Remember when the left cried about war crimes during the Bush era, but then Bush came out as anti-Trump and they said, oh, we forgive you. We love you now. All the blood is off your hands. Remember when Obama campaigned on ending all the wars and then he bombed more countries than Bush? Remember when he blew up, uh, what was his name, Anwar Alaki and his son or uh, bombed a wedding or a market and killed innocent people? Say, well, hey, that was a mistake. He's the president. Remember that? Preppridge Farm remembers. I remember. <laughs> but no, but see, nothing applies to anybody but Trump. Trump didn't have the illegal documents. Biden did. Trump gets charged. Trump didn't commit an insurrection. Nobody did. Nobody's been charged. Doesn't matter. We're taking him off the ballot for insurrection. So, no, no, no. It doesn't put Bush or Obama in jeopardy. They're above the law. Now Hawaii wants Trump off the ballot. What is that, 20 states now? Hawaii committee advances bill that could keep Trump off the ballot. But that's why this Supreme Court argument today is so key, because it'll set the precedent whether the Democrats can just take Trump off the ballot or not. Whether the Democrats can fart in a bucket and tell you it's cuisine. Jack Smith could seek to remove Eileen Cannon for granting Trump's request. So 
Judge Cannon, who's who's trying to be a real judge and not a partisan hack like liberal judges, is doing her job. And so now Jack Smith says, well, she's biased. She needs to recuse herself. But when you have radical left-wing judges and, and district attorneys who publicly talk about how much they hate Trump and campaign, their whole campaign is how they're going to get rid of Trump, they don't have to recuse themselves. And, and Joe Biden doesn't have to answer for anything, by the way. He doesn't have to answer for anything at all. Inside the Biden administration's indifference towards rescuing Americans from Afghanistan. Yeah, the disastrous pullout that resulted in Americans dying and then some Americans being stranded and then they didn't do anything. And then private groups had to go over there to try to rescue people. Remember that whole ordeal? And, and now the same thing is happening in Israel, by the way. There are American hostages in Israel. Nobody wants to talk about it. The Biden administration is doing nothing about it. And by the way, it's likely that Israel probably killed the majority of them with their bombings. And that actually came out earlier this week. They, they admitted, I think it was like it, it, the IDF admitted they killed at least four hostages in one of their bombings of the Gaza Strip. So, oh, oh oops, we killed some of the hostages. They don't even care. And then... There was a ceasefire and an exchange offered by Hamas. Hamas was offering to exchange some hostages for a ceasefire and some other deals. And Netanyahu rejected it, by the way. Netanyahu doesn't give a damn about the hostages. Biden doesn't give a damn about the hostages. And the American media lets him off the hook. Israel's Netanyahu rejects Hamas ceasefire plan after meeting with Blinken. I guess that's why they're calling him Bloody Blinken. And now uh, Ukraine's in more trouble as well. Zelensky ousts Ukraine's top military general, Zaluzhny, in reboot of war effort. So here's what you have going on. The real military leaders of Ukraine are telling Zelensky, they're advising him, stop. You're killing an entire generation of Ukrainian men and women and children. You're destroying our country. You have to stop this war now. You have to pull out and get a deal with Russia now. And Zelensky says, you're fine. Not a very smart move. All right, Alex Jones coming up in studio Second hour of the InfoWars War Room brought to you by InfoWarsStore.com. Give me liberty or give me death. This is the War Room with Owen Schroyer. Watch the live stream at band.video. All right, this is an amazing admission from Senator Chris Murphy. Uh, Murphy, excuse me. Democrat Senator Chris Murphy says the quiet part out loud that they care about illegal immigrants more than Americans. And, and you'll notice here he catches himself admitting it at the end of this with um, the lead cuck boy in the media, Chris Hayes. Uh, listen to uh, Cuck Hayes and Chris Murphy admitting that illegal immigrants are more important than Americans in clip 18. The negotiation didn't have a path to citizenship. It was entirely on their terms in order to get Ukraine funded, right? Well, I mean, Chris, that's been a failed play for 20 years. So right. you are right that that has been the democratic well, strategy listen for 30 years, maybe. Uh, and it has failed to deliver for the people we care about most, the undocumented Americans that are in this oh! country. Oh, guys, you got to rewind that. Because, skip that. Did that just record skip? Can we bring that? Quote, the people we care about the most, undocumented immigrants. Now, that's what he was going to say. Chris Murphy just said the quiet part out loud. 
the people we care about the most, undocumented immigrants. But but watch his body language and his facial expressions when he realized he just crapped the bed and said the quiet part out loud. So he goes, Americans. So what do you mean undocumented Americans then? So So either way, he loses. What he meant to say was illegal immigrants, undocumented immigrants, are the most important people to the Democrat Party. And it's all about their votes. And I've got the proof of that. But then he says undocumented Americans, which just shows that they treat undocumented illegal immigrant criminals as Americans and that they want them to vote. Go ahead. Roll it again. Listen closely. And it has failed to deliver for the people we care about most, the undocumented Americans that are in this country. See how undocumented Americans. One more time. One more time. Uh, and it has failed to deliver for the people we care about most, the undocumented Americans that are in this country. We got you, you son of a bitch. Gotcha. Gotcha. Senator Chris Murphy, Democrat Senator Chris Murphy admits the Democrats care more about criminal, illegal immigrants more than the American people, then catches himself mid-sentence and then says undocumented Americans. Huh. What do you mean by that, actually? Now, here's a group of immigrants, uh, an independent journalist is interviewing, and they admit the lawyers that get paid for by all these omnibus bills and everything, the hundreds of billions of dollars that go towards illegal immigrants, that, that go to lawyers, uh, hundreds of millions go to lawyers for these illegal immigrants. The Democrat lawyers tell the illegal immigrants that they're going to be allowed to vote and to vote for Joe Biden because he's going to take care of them. And now here they are on tape admitting it. Now, this is in Spanish. I'll read for you the captions here because this is in Spanish. Uh, but a journalist, Nick Shirley, gets them to admit that, yes, we're told we're going to be able to vote and we're going to vote for Joe Biden. Go ahead. Who are you going to be voting for? He's helping us. I believe the majority are voting for Biden. He's the one helping us, Joe Biden. Biden. Of course I'm voting for Biden. Joe Biden is supporting us immigrants. He's a very good person. And Trump is a different thing. Now, look, this goes on. Again, this is Nick Shirley at an immig illegal immigrant housing complex. So, so I mean, they get whole housing complexes, folks. Whole housing complexes built for them. Now, there's a huge one about an hour north of Houston we've documented. So, I mean, this stuff is just crazy. And, and then there's more with James O'Keefe infiltrating an illegal immigrant camp. And then you have Muckraker, who was on the Alex Jones show earlier, infiltrating an illegal immigrant camp. I mean, you understand, this is already a communist country. And, but not for you. You don't get anything for free. You get all, all your money stolen and given to criminals. Cause that's what they are. Illegal immigrants are criminals. And then they get, they're gonna get to vote. They're going to get your money, and they're going to get to vote, and they're going to vote, go vote for the Democrats that hate you. But, folks, we're standing up for our rights. We're standing up for your rights. We're standing up for all of our freedoms and our children. If you don't spread the word about the broadcast, if you don't share the links, if you don't buy products at InfoWarsShore.com, then I'm not griping at you. I'm just saying, what are you doing? Less than 1% of you ever buy a product at InfoWarsShore.com. If just... A half a percent more would go buy a book or a film or a t-shirt or get some of our great supplements and then reorder them because they really work. Just try it. We would be able to do so many things. I'm praying to God that he'll touch your heart to decide to support us. 
InfoWarsStore.com. It's been sold out. It's back in stock. Reformulated even stronger. Nitric boost to clean out your blood and your whole body. Vasodilation. It's got a lot of wonderful side effects, and I mean good ones. I'm going to leave it at that. It is powerful, so be careful with it. Next Level Foundational Energy, InfoWarsStore.com or 888-253-3139. Crushed in the housing market. We are getting crushed in the automobile market. We are getting crushed in our grocery bills. They're sitting here attacking you, attacking your economy, attacking your culture, attacking your borders. And then they say you're inhumane. Store.com. Alex Jones is in studio, going to be joining us any moment now to talk about the Vladimir Putin-Tucker Carlson interview that's coming up shortly tonight and why the media is so panicked about it. Hey, uh, Barbara Walters can go interview Vladimir Putin. Oh, 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 don't worry. Vladimir Putin is not the only individual that Barbara Walters has interviewed that might be controversial. Remember when she snuck into Cuba to interview Fidel Castro? You know, Fidel Castro may have given her more than an interview. You know, you know what I mean? Fidel Castro may have given Barbara Walters more than an interview. Uh, you know, the old uh, Justin Trudeau's mother treatment. But that's a different story. But no, Barbara Walters can interview Vladimir Putin. I mean, what, what what's the list of all the people that have interviewed Vladimir Putin? I mean, NBC News, Barbara Walters, George Stephanopoulos, the Democrat operative, Larry King, Megyn Kelly... I mean, the list just goes on and on. When they do it, it's all fine and good. That's journalism. But when Tucker does it, it's treason. It's the same reason why. It's the same reason why Joe Biden can commit crimes. Joe Biden can take classified documents, store them illegally, and not get charged. But Donald Trump doesn't do that, doesn't commit a crime, and then he does get charged. It's the same reason. Because Democrats are above the law. It's because when you're a member of the corrupt mainstream media, you're above the law. Tucker Carlson, not a member of the corrupt media. He's not allowed to interview Vladimir Putin. Donald Trump, not a member of the corrupt political establishment. He's not allowed to be president. Joe Biden commits crime after crime after crime after crime after crime. He's allowed to be president. Donald Trump's not. So that's the dynamic here. That's the dynamic at hand. Even Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has come out in support of Tucker Carlson interviewing Vladimir Putin. So good for him. But but see, this is what the mainstream media wants you to see. Look at this pathetic sob fest. Look at this suck fest between CNN and Zelensky. This is real. Now, it's been edited and some music and some effects added, yes. But this is actually Aaron Burnett. They call her show out front, but she's way behind. Aaron Burnett doing an official interview with Vladimir Zelensky. The most pathetic thing you've ever seen here in clip four. So many people look up to you. They rely on you. No one can imagine how hard that is. Do you do, you do anything for your to yourself? Are you ever able to take a minute to, to read or to listen to music or something to sort of give yourself that, a, a moment? I have such moments important to be in silence, to be alone. 
and early, early in the morning when there are no sounds, sounds. No people, no, no, nobody. I mean, the people, people, our staff. I mean, no, nobody is, is, is in my cabinet, nobody. I can just read, think, think, and the music helps, really. What music do you like? Oh, I like ACDC. ACDC, I don't understand all the words <laughs> because of... I like the music. Yeah, I like energy. Maybe it's wait, he likes ACDC? Okay, maybe I'll rethink the list. I understand. We're, we're the wait, same. Uh, wait, hold on. I might have to rethink it. I love it. No, no, it's, it's important to have You know the some, band that keeps on going? They're six, about to announce a new album and tour, apparently. Morning, like, some, what? Some They're going to be playing music... ACDC is going to be like a Democrat voter. They're they're voting from the dead. ACDC making music from the dead. Oh, Vladimir Zelensky, can I clean your feet? Can I lick your feet? Can I wash that blood off of your hands? Please, Vladimir. So, I mean, that, that's the... Uh, oh, jeez. Yeah, that's what they want. They just want this suck fest for their propaganda. But Tucker Carlson's a real journalist. He's not a propaganda agent. So that's what it is. So if you're a propaganda agent, then you can interview Vladimir Putin or Vladimir Zelensky or whatever you want or get $30 million to lie for MSNBC. But if you're Tucker Carlson and you tell the truth and you do real journalism and you want to have an actual interview with Putin, well, then you're you're committing treason and, and you're the problem and you're going to get sanctioned by the EU. I mean, what an honor. I think the only the only person I've ever heard to be sanctioned in Europe was Michael Savage. They banned him from traveling uh, to England and maybe some other countries too. It was a whole story like 30 years ago. But okay, ladies and gentlemen, listen to this though. The same CNN that's going to call Tucker Carlson a traitor and celebrate him getting sanctioned by the EU, here they are admitting they're just jealous because they've been trying to get the interview with Vladimir Putin for years and being rejected in clip 15. That's a lie. Serious news outlets, including CNN, have requested Putin to interview over and over again. Oh! Oh! Wow! Folks, that was Tuesday night. CNN admits we've been requesting an interview with Putin for years and he won't give it to us. Because you're liars! Because you're frauds! And Putin knows it! See, Putin's smarter than you. See? And Putin is smart enough to know that Tucker Carlson will give him a real interview. So he takes the interview with Tucker. He's not going to sit down with CNN, a propaganda agent of the American deep state. At worst, at best, just a bunch of low IQ idiots that get a show like Brian Stelter somehow. So but let's hear that one more time. CNN. Oh, Tucker's a traitor. He gets to interview Putin. But here they are crying that they didn't get the interview. That's a lie. Serious news outlets, including CNN, have requested Putin to interview over and over again. Wow. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? But I'm sure if CNN got the interview with Putin or sent Anderson Cooper over there or some other hack, I'm sure they wouldn't be sanctioned by the EU. I'm sure there wouldn't be calls for them committing treason or being a traitor for doing that. You see what this is? This is the caste system that they're building. Donald Trump, he's not allowed to run for president, but but Joe Biden committing all the crimes, he is. Tucker Carlson, he's not allowed to interview Vladimir Putin, but MSNBC, NBC, CNN, uh, Barbara Walters, they're, they are because they're the liars. They're the propaganda agents. It's the caste system.
join the corrupt system, and and you get to do whatever you want. But how about this? Before we get a message from Alex Jones, and then he joins us in studio. Ladies and gentlemen, I have been given, I have been given an exclusive look, an exclusive firsthand look, a teaser of the Carlson-Putin interview. And, uh, guys, where is this on the list? Oh, don't tell me we don't have it on the list. Or I'm going to be very upset. I don't see it. I could be missing it. But I don't see it. Now I'm, now I'm, now I'm starting to get angry. May have to do a deep tease of this. May have to do it with Alex Jones. Cause I'm not seeing it here. Well, well, looks like we don't have it. So, uh, we'll find that. So instead, uh, we're going to be joined by Alex Jones coming up in studio shortly. I'm going to find the, uh, the, uh, exclusive clip I've been given a teaser of the Tucker and Putin interview. You're not going to want to miss. And Alex Jones joining us in studio after this special message from Alex Jones. We knew it was coming. I predicted it days ago. The Democrats are now calling for Tucker Carlson to be charged with the Espionage Act or treason. Listen to what some of these scumbags are saying. Tucker Carlson is interviewing Vladimir Putin today, and many people believe it's going to go horribly wrong for Tucker. My first question was, is it even legal for a U.S. reporter to go over to a country that we're basically at war with and interview the president of that country? The answer is yes, but I forecast some big problems ahead for Tucker Carlson. The Espionage Act is a U.S. law that basically prohibits us from spying or leaking classified documents to foreign countries. But the words of the law are super broad and could be construed to prohibit any sharing of information with another country with intent to harm the U.S. Is it possible that Tucker shared his questions with Putin's people before the interview? Is it possible that Putin's people provided Tucker with evidence supporting their war with Ukraine? This is definitely information covered by the Espionage Act. The interview is going to be way bigger than the Super Bowl. They're estimating 500 million, a billion people are going to watch it. This is as big as it gets, ladies and gentlemen. And you can argue that the moon landing has never really happened, but they're saying this will be as big as the first moon landing. Potentially billions are going to watch it because billions of people don't want to be in a nuclear war and they want to hear what Vladimir Putin has to say. Of course, I'm talking about the big Tucker Carlson interview with Vladimir Putin over two hours long. He told me drops at 5 p.m. Central today, 6 p.m. Eastern. We'll be covering it live on air during Owen Schroyer's War Room and, of course, on my own broadcast as well. Follow us at Real Alex Jones on X and at InfoWars.com forward slash show. But here's an update on how crazy they've gone. First three days ago, members of the European Union government, the unelected uh, board uh, that, that, that controls the ceremonial parliament, as well as members of the parliament came out and said, we want him banned from Europe. We want sanctions on Tucker Carlson. Then they started talking about, oh, criminal charges. Maybe we can charge him with something. Now the Democrats have come out, and it's all over the news saying, let's charge him with the Espionage Act. Is he guilty? Well, yes, which, of course, he's not, ladies and gentlemen. This is how panicked and insane they are. Hillary Clinton says that he's a useful idiot. Hillary Clinton says, yeah, we should look at not letting him back into the United States. They're trying to murder journalism, and they're trying to kill your right to hear and see other ideas. They lied to us about the Ukraine war. The Ukrainians have lost. NATO started the war nine years ago. Russia warned if they didn't back down, they would invade. 
And they did, ladies and gentlemen. And now NATO says nuclear war is imminent. It's preparing to have a draft in places like Germany and the UK. The last desperate holdout or fortress of tyranny is war. And all their different globalist operations and their COVID lockdowns has failed to get people to submit to the rollout of this new globalist system with the cashless society, the central bank digital currencies, the ESGs. And so they're openly saying in NATO that decades of ongoing war with Russia, saying in the last decades, will help bring in their new world order. Whether you agree with Putin, whether you agree with Xi Jinping, whether you agree with the puppet Biden, anybody should have a right to be able to interview them if they do the interview. And we have a right as adults to hear what they're actually saying. This is the same left that sends convicted pedophiles in to elementary schools to have children sit on their laps with drag queen pedophile time. So the children can have that done to them, but we as adults can't hear from Vladimir Putin. So I'm going to be covering this all today on my regular show, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., then Owen at 3 p.m. Central today. We'll be live when the interview drops. We'll be airing it. Tucker wants everybody to share it. He wants to get out because they're going to try to block it. You can find the full interview at Tucker Carlson's website that we'll put on screen. You can also find it on his X account. But again, we'll also be linking to it and streaming it. And after it's over, we'll have commentary as well. And then on the Friday show tomorrow, we'll be opening the phones up to discuss it. This is history making, and it could stop World War III. Please share this important report. While other networks lie to you about what's happening now, InfoWars tells you the truth about what's happening next. That's right. It's been that way for decades. We're now back in the InfoWars World Headquarters in Austin, Texas. Owen Troyer alongside Alex Jones reappearing here on the InfoWars War Room. And, I mean, so much historic news is breaking today. But the simple question is... That, that any observant American is asking, why is it Tucker Carlson isn't allowed to interview Vladimir Putin? And what is the establishment so afraid of with this interview going down and being uh, published here very soon? This is just an extension of all the censorship culture that you can't see things. Remember when Chris Cuomo, maybe they can find the club, type in Chris Cuomo says only CNN can read WikiLeaks. He said, when we read it, it's okay. When you do, you go to jail. That's not the law. So they're saying we're the anointed people. We will tell you what you can see. So it's just an extension of the election meddling. They've already started basically World War III. They want to make it nuclear. So they don't want you to hear from Vladimir Putin, the obvious interview that any big journalist would do. But things are so controlled, they've not been doing that. And Putin's been refusing interviews with the West because they're so one-sided. But I think it's going to be an amazing. Tucker told me it's over two hours long. He's blown away. I mean, I, I texted him like when it was first being rumored like three days ago in Newsweek. I said, is it true? Did you get it? And he said, uh, he said I'm getting it. And then he got it a few hours later. He goes, unbelievable, two-plus hours. We're putting it out raw. And I just said, you got to put it out now. He is. So uh, we are uh, 40 minutes. So they're posting at TuckerCarlson.com and on X, and we will instantly download it and because he wants it out there and instantly stream it here is when everybody to see it. That's at Infowars.com forward slash show and radio and TV stations and, of course, on X with Real Alex Jones. Uh, but regardless, we're going to be here analyzing it after it will have some comments, obviously, tomorrow on my show and your show, obviously, the Friday edition. We'll talk about it because it'll have way more viewers. The Super Bowl may have a billion viewers uh, because the, 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 the censors have come in and, and told you you can't see this. So it's the Streisand effect on steroids. Well, heck, we are on air Sunday during the Super Bowl. Maybe we'll just air it during the Super Bowl. Maybe we'll just do direct competition with the Super Bowl. Just say, oh, we'll go ahead and air the Putin interview during the Super Bowl, see what can get better ratings. And by the way, I love football. I played football. I wasn't very good at it. I was good enough to get hurt. 
And uh, so I get football, I get baseball, I get basketball. It's fun. You get into it. It's it's a great event. My dad took me to Dallas Cowboy games. He took me to Mavericks games. He used, you know, to take me to all you know all that stuff. Astros games, you name it. But I focus on the New World Order because it's so imminent. That's the real game. Uh, but Aaron Rodgers came out and said nice things about me on Joe Rogan. Yeah, that was a powerful interview he just had on Joe Rogan. He, called out, he called out the COVID bullcrap, too, as usual. Well, Joe had told me uh, three years ago at dinner, and he said, but don't tell anybody this. And he told me the two people close to him in one week that took the shot, both young and in great shape, both had strokes and are still screwed up from the COVID shot. Well, but he finally asked, fine, I won't talk about it. Why tell me? Well, I want you to know. And now he told it with Aaron Rodgers. So Joe had an appointment to get it a week later. The shot? Yeah. But he never did it. because well, After he saw his friends stroke out from the shot, he said, no, I'm not I'm not going to take it. And then a few months later, uh, I'm not gonna, he told me not to say I'm not going to say it. Just, it. That was two in one week. Then um, <laughs> another person <laughs> okay. very close to him took it and is totally fried. I mean, that, so yeah, that, that I mean, those early early shots, we know what happened. They put the really bad stuff up front as a test. Then they went to mainly um, saline. That's why they kept testing. It's like saline. They went, oh, the doctors are doing saline. No. They they were like, whoa, this is like, and, and then they, it was only a few of the doses. Well, it was experimental. It was, well, yeah, but they were like, oh my God, this is killing everybody. This is too obvious. So they, it was the people that first took the shots got it really bad. Then they were doing range testing. We're only like, 5%, same thing in Australia, same thing in Europe. After that first few months, it was 5% had the full dose. About 30% on average had a, a small dose of it. But we're talking, we're talking 60 something percent had nothing in it after that. Well, that's what those, I mean, yes, they would. They're have, like, whoa, what Bill Gates did was too powerful. It's too obvious. They would like to have the vaccine passports obviously directly installed into a chip into your body. But the real, the reason why they had those vaccine pa passports and papers the main purpose was so they could track the doses and know who was getting hit, who wasn't, who was getting the saline, who was getting the full dose, who was dying, who was having a stroke, who was surviving, who was getting COVID. And the FDA even predicted in October 2000, months before they rolled it out, we're going to have myocarditis, strokes, heart attacks. But so, okay, that's a perfect example and a way to go to this Chris, uh, Chris Cuomo segment because this is what the mainstream media wants to do. They want to say, okay, well, Let's say, oh, well, we get access to all this information about the COVID-19 shots. And boy, it says right here, it could kill you dead or in a hammer. 50% are getting myocarditis. 50% are having a stroke. But you know what? You, the American people, don't need to know that. So we're just going to tell you there's some mild side effects, safe and effective. And that's the filter process they want to have. <laughs> By the way, I put that video in my list state and play it. If you, if you want to get in my list, it was, uh, it was a headline on InfoWars about it. It, it, it. Notice they don't attack Joe on this now because people are listening. You know, a year ago they said, oh, he's a cook. Now it's like... Joe Rogan had two people close to him have strokes after shot. Why he didn't take it? That's the headline. So think about how biggest talk shows in the world, 50 million, you know, listeners an hour, and he's telling the truth about this. And before he was scared to say it. Now, now he's saying, cause it's safe to say it. And we're not mad at Joe. It's great. He's come along. And then he said, you know, I talk to Alex every day and he advises me on all this stuff. Same thing I told the listeners. So there's Joe saying it. So it wasn't about, Oh, I advise Joe Rogan. I'm so powerful. It's like, I'm not making this crap up to viewers. And, uh, you know, I, I woke, uh, this show. We, we, Tucker Charles told me 10 years ago, I woke him up in the studio. And then after that, he told me, man, I thought you were crazy. It's all true. And he listens every day. And so it's not about Alex Jones. It's about what the listeners have supported is recognized as the tip of the spear by Joe Rogan, by Tucker Carlson. Uh, do you have the clip of Joe talking about it or maybe play it next segment? Let, let's do this. I'm going to leave and do a spaces. 
Where can people get on this space? Is you're going to take? It'll be a real ox jokes, but I'm going to tell them to come over here and watch our feed. I'm only doing 30 minutes. And then we'll come back after and cover it all. But I'm not trying to toot my horn. I'm saying Alex Jones is this most demonized guy after Trump. And you got Tucker Carlson endorsing me. You got Joe Rogan come out and say, I talk to Alex every day. God, he's balls deep in the truth. Nobody's got more. He, I already told you that behind the scenes. Now he's, we're winning. Elon Musk, I mean, we're winning. All people bitching Elon Musk. Give me a break. Do you wish he'd stop doing what he's doing? I don't want to hear it. You know what I mean? Are you going to talk to David Ike about that on the air? Has that been confirmed? He's on tomorrow, and I'm not mad at David. He's a purist. But when I when I say that, I'm just saying it's a sport to say Elon can do better. He's devastating them. Maybe he'll turn on us later. I'm not saying I'm going to turn my back on him. I'm not going to turn the lights off and bend over. But, I mean, holy hell. I mean. Well, it's kind of I mean, like, I mean, if you want to make a sports analogy, it's like if you had a guy – Let's say the Dallas Cowboys' main rival is the San Francisco 49ers. You got a guy in the Niners who scored 100 touchdowns against the Cowboys, but you just signed him, and now he's your wide receiver. It's like, hey, why don't you go into the end zone for me? Hey, I want to catch a touchdown for me every once in a while. And now he's on our team. And he's he's been, he's making touchdowns every fucking play. I mean, yeah. and they're like, well, you used to be for the New World Order. I'm like, okay, he may double-cross us later, but this ain't five-dimensional chess, folks. He's They're coming after him. He's devastating them. We're Evil is not the only power in the universe. Yeah, and, and people I think, either, yeah. we've been asleep before. People keep thinking like, oh, no, we're never supposed to win. Anybody's like, oh, Owen and Alex are controlled because they're popular. No, we're here every day busting our ass. Well, and that's why even even if Elon Musk isn't perfect, Donald Trump isn't perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody's claiming to be perfect. But it's like when a billionaire at Elon Musk's level comes out for issues that we support and, and comes out with rhetoric that we can get And says him, arrest the NGOs for human trafficking. We got to support that. Otherwise, nobody else is going to do it. They're going to be like, well, why would I support these people? Why would I come out on their issues? They're just going to tear me down and destroy me. I mean, it's the same thing with Aaron Rodgers. Like, when Aaron Rodgers goes out and makes these statements and goes on the Rogan show, if or, or let's say he comes on your show, we need to support him, not say, well, you know, Aaron said this, or he got this tattoo, or he likes ayahuasca too much. It's like, uh, no, when people come on our side, let's say, hey, welcome to our team. We're we're lovers here. We support everybody Jesus here. Jesus talked about this with the Pharisees who were the the religious lawyers, the Jewish lawyers. And he said, you people pray in public, but you're evil behind the scenes. You tell everybody they're not perfect. I'm going to go talk to the prostitution tax collectors because at least they're open and know what they're doing, and I can get them to work with me. And it's like if if we support Aaron Rodgers, who I love Aaron Rodgers, I hope Aaron Rodgers spurs the next generation of he athletes. Is. He, he we're, we're, We've got everybody coming over from Russell Brand to you name it. And we're like, well, you're, you weren't perfect before. You were married to Carrie Perry. <coughs> Jesus said you judge the tree by its fruits. You're going to break. You're going to come back. You've got the uh, clip we talked about where you can't read WikiLeaks. Yeah, Same yeah. thing. You can't listen to Putin. Uh, you're, you're not allowed to, Owen. And then you've got the... the uh, the, the uh, clip, and I mean, I'm not up here. If, if, if Joe Rogan was endorsing Tucker Carlson, I'd say this was news. I, I'm just saying this is what this is what God told me 25, 26 years ago. Literally, I don't say a vision; it was like a download that this was all going to happen. And, I, and I've been saying it for 25 years. Well, it's, it's not like I just logic. now said all this. Well, yeah. It's just logic. I mean, what you have is logic, and you have linear vision, and you reach logical conclusions with it. I mean, of course, but, this is but you open the, up to the Holy Spirit. God goes in and punches the buttons. It, it, God's playing me like a, a accordion here. Owen, great job. I'm gonna go. You'll do, be back. I'm gonna go do the spaces real quick. The same guy we did with Elon Musk. He might be popping in. I'm not perfect. I'm under a lot of stress. But if I didn't have the supplements we have, we promote, I wouldn't be able to continue to be on air. And when you go to InfoWarsStore.com, you are funding the tip of the spear in the fight against the globalists in an operation that the enemy admits has been the most effective at exposing them. Because we're fearless and we don't back down. We got God on our side. 
but God needs to work through you. You've got to make the decision to get great products you already need at InfoWarsStore.com, and that is a 360 win. Nitric Boost, without me even knowing, became our number three bestseller because people loved it so much. They had such great effects. Got all these natural compounds that clean out the blood, open up your arteries and veins and capillators, clean out your heart, your brain, everything. Well, we got an even better manufacturer. The other one was great, but one that's even better with even higher quality ingredients at a lower price. So I could never offer Nitric Boost as it costs us so much to make. And now we can offer it for 40% off. Infowarstore.com, Nitric Boost, finally back in stock. 40% off out of the gates. The enemies of humanity have been very good at dividing and conquering us. But if we simply start thinking about things according to the definition of is it pro-human or is it anti-human, we start to win. And that's why I had the idea for Team Humanity. I brought it up to Elon Musk. He loved the idea. What would you call the debate and discussion about a pro-human future? Just Team Humanity? Yeah, Team Humanity. Absolutely. And so we have the T-shirt. Team Humanity with a nuclear family standing against the globalist. This shirt is a great conversation starter, but it also is a fundraiser. Keep InfoWars on the air so we can promote and support Team humanity i want to thank you all for your past support but i want to encourage you all now to understand that this is a revolution against the globalists and it is so critical now to signal the fact that you are part of team humanity we're told humans are the problem we're told we're killing the earth we're told all this garbage so we hate ourselves and stand down and roll over and die we're not going to do that get your team humanity shirts now at infowarsstore.com and i thank you all for your support Gunther in Tennessee. Thanks for calling, Gunther. Hey, Alex. First time caller. Real quick, wanted to plug your foundational energy. Uh, just started taking that. And, uh, boy, three pills, the uh, recommended dose. I was bouncing off the walls. But uh, I, I tell you, foundational is the right name for that product because I've, I've cut down to one. And uh, it, it, it's like you have a baseline of energy that you were missing before that you got back. So, Well, I'm you glad you mentioned that because it's methylfolate, the breakdown of folic acid. And a lot of people, particularly Europeans, don't absorb all of the folic acid. So it's not a stimulant. It's a totally natural thing that boosts energy that's foundational. And, and was I lying to you or, or did it not work? No, it, it was top notch. And I was, I was actually taking Red Pill Plus before, and that's got a little folic acid in it. I think there was a little buildup from this, but the energy from this was no jitters. I mean, it's top notch. It's a great product. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, no, folic acid's great and it's in real Red Pill, but some can't Absolutely. break it down. This is the breakdown of it. That's exactly it. Bill Gates up through that little chicken deck. You know how he walks, like, ah, like a demonic hell. Hey, Bill Gates. Got Angelina Jolie going, ah, children. I am Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm Piz Morgan. Ever seen a Choini? My name's Glenn Beck. That's Hillary. Hold on, I'm Gary Johnson. Hi, this is Barack Obama without my teleprompter. I was raised by the Ford Foundation at Carnegie Endowment. Welcome to McDonald's. May I help you? I'm Bernie Sanders. Chris Hayes with glasses like he's a little smart guy. Rachel Nutter. <laughs> Thank you, Satan, for all your love. Signed, Cheryl Sandberg. Job of the hut. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I'm the amazing Randy. I am Optimus Prime. I am William F. Buckley of the Sun. Visit InfoWarsStore.com today and be the reason we're still on the air. If you are receiving this transmission, you are the resistance.
globalist agenda. Welcome to the War Room with Owen Schroyer. It's like for me. Look at what look at what the left does. They don't even watch sports. And look at what they do to exalt Colin Kaepernick and 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 make him some sort of an icon. He's a failed NFL quarterback. He was successful in a system, and then when the system left, he failed. I mean, was historically bad. But but then they lift him up and they say, "Oh, he couldn't. He can't play because he's black, or he can't play because he protested." Uh, well, I'm sure there's an element of NFL teams don't want that anti-American drama, but no, he, he didn't get a job because he sucked, actually. And he quit on his contract. He actually had a year on his contract. He, he quit on the contract. So, but the point is they, they lift up the left heroes like Colin Kaepernick, but it's like, why don't we lift up Aaron Rodgers? Why don't, why don't we turn Aaron Rodgers into a, a hero for truth, into a, a sports figure that we can exalt and say, man, I wish there were more Aaron Rodgers out there. And we should, because then you know what you get? You get more Aaron Rodgers out there. Even though, of course, we know the league wants to censor those types of individuals like they do C.J. Stroud. But no, uh, Aaron Rodgers is uh, pretty much as cool as they come. But first, of course, you know, Chris Cuomo will tell you, well, you don't need to watch Aaron Rodgers. I'll watch Aaron Rodgers. And remember, Aaron Rodgers got banned from the Pat McAfee show, which was supposed to be like the anti-establishment ESPN show, had all the best ratings, and then they said, nope, no more Aaron Rodgers. Because he's he talks too serious. Oh, I see. You just want you just want the sports fans to be dumb idiots. Ah, gotcha. The bread and circus. I see. Feed them, feed them the moron crap. Leave the intellectuals like Aaron Rodgers out. But see, Chris Cuomo was saying, we'll watch Aaron Rodgers and tell you what to think. Like uh, what he says here about the WikiLeaks. Also interesting is, remember, it's illegal to possess uh, these stolen documents. It's different for the media. So everything you learn about oh, this, it is? you're learning from us. And in oh. full disclosure, let's take a look at what is in there and what it means. Joining us now, CNN. <laughs> remember when Mika Brzezinski, uh, the inflatable newswoman, uh, said, we get paid to think for you. You don't think we get paid to think for you. Remember when she said that on air? I mean, it's the same energy. But no, let's actually... Let's let's hear from Aaron Rodgers on Joe Rogan. My guess is this will be probably top 10 when it's all said and done. Joe Rogan shows here. Uh, Aaron Rodgers looking very healthy, looking forward to a return in the NFL for Aaron Rodgers next year. And uh, here's a, here's a brief highlight from that. I knew that people were upset at me because I was hesitant to take the vaccine, but that was because two people I knew got strokes. Yeah. I wasn't initially hesitant at all. I was set up to take it. I was set up to take it by the UFC. By the UFC, yeah. yeah. I, you said that. I was yeah. ready to do it. I was like, okay, shoot me up. I was going to have them do it to me. I thought of it like a flu shot. Like uh, if I was about to do the UFC and they said, oh, you have to take a flu shot before you go to the UFC. I'm like, all right, just stick me. I didn't think it was going to be a big deal. And then they they said, well, in two weeks when you're back, just come early and you come to the clinic. I said, okay, we'll do that. And then within that two weeks, it got pulled. Yeah. Luckily, you know, but it's not just those two guys. I know a lot of people now with pretty severe vaccine injuries. So and, do I. And so many people have reached out to me because of what happened to me. Celebrities that wanted to be quiet about it. You know, people that are like really hesitant about talking about it openly and publicly. But they were really scared. Like, People that have like real serious problems. I have two friends that have pacemakers now. 
Yeah, I remember yeah. we talked about that. They're like one of them in their thirties, right? Yeah, he's a, a dentist. That's not f- normal. No, it's not normal. It's not normal for at your all. heart to stop for nine seconds at a time. He's a thin, healthy young guy, and all of a sudden his heart starts f- up. Why does nobody care about that? Well, everyone's scared. There's people that are scared because they took it and they're worried that they have a ticking time bomb and they want any information, any information that refutes that and that confirms that they made the right choice. Also, they did make the right choice morally and ethically when they did it. They did it because they thought they were doing the right thing. Everybody has to do it. We're going to protect everyone. If we all do this, this is going to get us out of the pandemic because the news media was being used by these pharmaceutical drug companies to push a very specific narrative. And they didn't do any critical thinking. They didn't step outside the box. They didn't talk to any scientists that differed. They all just stuck with whatever Fauci said, whatever the NIH said. And they also demonized people who were saying things that have been proven to be absolutely correct, like the lab leak theory. If you brought up the lab leak theory, you used to get banned from YouTube. Now it's widely accepted by everyone. Everyone. So was all the all the conspiracies that that got people censored and kicked yeah. off. So many of them have been proven to yeah. be true. Yeah. And I agree with you. So many people thought they were doing the right thing. They yes. thought, "I'm doing my part. This is what we're supposed to do. To yeah. stop the spread. You know. To you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm full on board. We're all together. But let's look at what happened. And people are always like, "Why do you keep bringing up the vaccine?" For multiple reasons. But listen, this is a playbook that now we have. Right. For the next time they f- try and do this sh- Right. Don't forget about this. Man. Well, the big loser in in this, besides the people that lost their jobs and their businesses closed and people lost their lives, the big loser has been mainstream media. Because the trusted mainstream media is at an all-time low. I mean, they are laying off journalists left and right. No one wants to read the newspaper anymore. No one believes them. CNN lost all their big hosts. It's like they lost. And they lost their streaming service. Yeah. Well, that was that was hilarious. They dumped (laughs) money into something to get people to pay for something that no one wants for free. Yeah. And it was like Anderson Cooper's book club. Like, what the f*** are you doing? (laughs) If I was was a shareholder in CNN. How much? Only $10 a month? Okay. Yeah. I was like, what the f*** are you guys doing? Do you really think anybody's going to pay for CNN? You know, and there was more in there too. I, I saw a couple other, a couple other clips where, where Rogers is talking about what it cost him personally to speak out against the COVID-19 vaccines. And so, I mean, that's a true hero. Colin Kaepernick didn't lose a damn thing from taking the knee. All he did was gain. All he did was gain. So that's what, see, that's what the establishment does. They take synthetic heroes. They give us fake heroes. They give us losers and sellouts. And promote them as heroes. And then when you have real heroes, real men that actually stand up and exemplify masculinity and what leadership looks like, they tear them down. Because that's what the establishment wants. That's why they're going after Tucker Carlson. That's why they're so panicked. And we got a hilarious compilation coming up in the next segment, by the way. Do we, is this the Brzezinski, is this the flotation device that opposes as a newswoman saying we get paid to tell you what to think? Is this what's... Here's the the uh, the inflatable newswoman Mika Brzezinski. Exactly, that is that's exactly what I hear. What you just said is what I hear from all the Trump supporters that I talk to, who were Trump voters and are still Trump supporters. They go, yeah, you guys are going crazy. He's doing, what are you so surprised about? He's doing exactly what he said he's going to do. Well, and I think that 
the dangerous, you know, edges here are that he's trying to undermine the media, trying to make up his own facts. And it could be that while unemployment and uh, the, the economy worsens, he could have undermined the messaging so much that he can actually control right. uh, exactly what people think. And that yeah. is the that is if our you, job. Yeah. If you look at the issues, uh, that's your job to control what people think, is it? I see. That's interesting. Uh, speaking of the message, listen to what Trudeau says here. See if you can catch on. This is kind of like uh, Senator Chris Murphy, where we caught him admitting that they only care about illegal immigrants, but then he has to correct his answer as he realized what he's done. Uh, see if you pick up what Trudeau says here, speaking of messaging, in clip nine. From the leader of the opposition is uh, under the previous conservative government, everything was perfect. And what he is proposing to do is to make Canada great again. That is not what Canadians want. He is pining oh. for a nostalgia that, quite frankly, Canadians do not feel. They remember Canadians what he don't did want Canada to be great. Stephen Harper's failed housing minister. That he remembers Prime Minister Trudeau. Canadians uh, don't want Canada to be great. You heard it right there folks wow incredible stuff all right we're less than an hour away from carlson putin alex jones will be rejoining us in studio we got so much more remember to support us at infowarsstore.com if you like these shows if you like everything we do here at infowars shop at infowarsstore.com get a great product get a great supplement get a great t-shirt a great book a great water filter it's all there broadcast is not for the weak-minded. It's the War Room with Owen Schroyer. Watch the live stream at band.video. History is about to be made, ladies and gentlemen. The response to the Tucker Carlson Vladimir Putin interview already shows how scared and weak and pathetic they are. We've even seen more phrased responses just in the last 20 minutes. I mean, who knows? They might just kill the internet to make sure people I was don't on see a show, this. one of the huge faces that Elon Musk goes on, millions of viewers, and the liberals were saying, Anybody that wears sunglasses or glasses or has an education can't be in government. They said Tucker Carlson comes from a good family. He's bad. Except they have the billionaire-owned newspapers, the billionaire-owned news stations, and they love all that propaganda. Oh, they've got George Soros back. It's so crazy. Oh, his mother was the Swanson heir. They don't even know what happened to his mother or his family. They don't even know what happened to Tucker, how bad his childhood was. They don't even know who he is. And they, just they, make, wanna... they want to change the subject. Oh, he comes from a rich family. He's self-made. He does a great job. They're pathetic worms, and they're losing. Everybody's talking about Tucker Carlson, not them. And they're jealous that he gets the biggest interview in the world to start the year off, 2024, one of the most important years in world history. Everybody knows it. Without and the biggest talk shows in the world after Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan says Alex Jones is basically always right now. Not about us. That's a benchmark, folks. You're losing leftists. We're winning. Fuck you. Fuck you, New World Order. Here it is. Tucker Carlson's big go. Fuck yourselves. The following is an interview with the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin, shot February 6, 2024, at about 7 p.m. in the building behind us, which is, of course, the Kremlin. The interview, as you will see if you watch it, is primarily about the war in progress, the war in Ukraine, how it started, what's happening, and most pressingly, how it might end. One note before you watch. At the beginning of the interview, we asked the most obvious question, which is, why did you do this? Did you feel a threat, an imminent physical threat? And that's your justification. And the answer we got shocked us. 
Putin went on for a very long time, probably half an hour, about the history of Russia going back to the 8th century. And honestly, we thought this was a filibustering technique and found it annoying and interrupted him several times. And he responded he was annoyed uh, by the interruption. But we concluded in the end, for what it's worth, that it was not a filibustering technique. There was no time limit on the interview. We ended it after more than two hours. Instead, what you're about to see seemed to us sincere, whether you agree with it or not. Vladimir Putin believes that Russia has a historic claim to parts of Western Ukraine. So our opinion would be to view it in that light as a sincere expression of what he thinks. And with that, here it is. Mr. President, thank you. On February 22nd, 2022, you addressed your country in a nationwide address when the conflict in Ukraine started. And you said that you were acting because you had come to the conclusion that the United States, through NATO, might initiate a, quote, surprise attack on our country. And to American ears, that sounds paranoid. Tell us why you believe the United States might strike Russia out of the blue. How did you conclude that? It's not that America, the United States, was going to launch a surprise strike on Russia. I didn't say that. Are we having a talk show or a serious conversation? <laughs> Here's the quote. <laughs> Thank you. It's a formidable serious conversation. Because your basic education is in history as far as I understand. Yes. So if you don't mind, I will take only 30 seconds or one minute to give you a short reference to history for giving you a little historical background. Please. <coughs> Let's look where our relationship with Ukraine started from. Where did Ukraine come from? The Russian state started gathering itself as a centralized statehood, and it is considered to be the year of the establishment of the Russian state in 862, when the townspeople of Novgorod invited a Varangian prince, Rurik, from Scandinavia to reign. In 1862, Russia celebrated the 1,000th anniversary of its statehood. And in Novgorod, there is a memorial dedicated to the 1,000th anniversary of the country. In 882, Rurik's successor, Prince Oleg, who was actually playing the role of regent at Rurik's young son, because Rurik had died by that time, came to Kiev. He ousted two brothers, who apparently had once been members of Rurik's squad. So Russia began to develop with two centers of power, Kiev and Novgorod. The next very significant date in the history of Russia was 988. This was the baptism of Russia, when Prince Vladimir, the great-grandson of Rurik, baptized Russia and adopted Orthodoxy, or Eastern Christianity. From this time, the centralized Russian state began to strengthen. Why? Because of the single territory, integrated economic ties, one and the same language and, after the baptism of Russia, the same faith and rule of the prince. 
the centralized Russian state began to take shape. Back in the Middle Ages, Prince Yaroslav the Wise introduced the order of succession to a throne. But after he passed away, it became complicated for various reasons. The throne was passed not directly from father to eldest son, but from the prince, who had passed away to his brother, then to his sons in different lines. All this led to the fragmentation and the end of Rus as a single state. There was nothing special about it. The same was happening then in Europe. But the fragmented Russian state became an easy prey to the empire created earlier by Genghis Khan. His successors, namely Batu Khan, came to Rus, plundered and ruined nearly all the cities. The southern part, including Kiev, by the way, and some other cities simply lost independence, while northern cities preserved some of their sovereignty. They had to pay tribute to the horde, but they managed to preserve some part of their sovereignty. And then a unified Russian state began to take shape with its center in Moscow. The southern part of Russian lands, including Kiev, began to gradually gravitate towards another magnet, the center that was emerging in Europe. This was the Grand Duchy of Lithuania. It was even called the Lithuanian Russian Duchy, because Russians were a significant part of this population. They spoke the old Russian language and were Orthodox. But then there was a unification, the union of the Grand Duchy of Lithuania and the Kingdom of Poland. A few years later, another union was signed, but this time already in the religious sphere. Some of the Orthodox priests became subordinate to the Pope. Thus, these lands became part of the Polish-Lithuanian state. During decades, the Poles were engaged in Polonization of this part of the population. They introduced their language there, tried to entrench the idea that this population was not exactly Russians, that because they lived on the fringe, they were Ukrainians. Originally, the word Ukrainian meant that the person was living on the outskirts of the state, along the fringes, or was engaged in a border patrol service. It didn't mean any particular ethnic group. So the Poles were trying to, in every possible way, to polonize this part of the Russian lands and actually treated it rather harshly, not to say cruelly. All that led to the fact that this part of the Russian lands began to struggle for their rights. They wrote letters to Warsaw demanding that their rights be observed and people be commissioned here, including to Kiev. I beg your pardon, can you tell us what period, I'm losing track of where in history we are, the, the, the Polish oppression of Ukraine? It was in the 13th century. 
Это было в 13 веке. Значит, и... Now I will tell you what happened later. И назову даты, чтобы не было путаницы. And give the dates so that there is no confusion. В 1654... And in 1654, even a bit earlier... Чуть раньше даже... The people who were in control of the authority over that part of the Russian lands addressed Warsaw, I repeat, demanding that they send them to rulers of Russian origin and Orthodox faith. When Warsaw did not answer them and in fact rejected their demands, they turned to Moscow so that Moscow took them away. So that you don't think that I'm inventing things. I'll give you these documents. Well, I, I, it doesn't sound like you're inventing it. I'm not sure why it's relevant to what happened two years ago. But still, these are documents from the archives, copies. Here are the letters from Bogdan Khmelnytsky, the man who then controlled the power in this part of the Russian lands that is now called Ukraine. He wrote to Warsaw demanding that their rights be upheld. And after being refused, he began to write letters to Moscow, asking to take them under the strong hand of the Moscow Tsar. There are copies of these documents. I will leave them for your good memory. There is a translation into Russian, you can translate it into English later. Russia would not agree to admit them straight away, assuming that the war with Poland would start. Nevertheless, in 1654, the Pan-Russian Assembly of top clergy and landowners headed by the Tsar, which was the representative body of the power of the old Russian state, decided to include a part of the old Russian lands into Moscow Kingdom. As expected, the war with Poland began. It lasted 13 years and then in 1654 a truce was concluded. And 32 years later, I think, a peace treaty with Poland, which they called Eternal Peace, was signed. And these lands, the whole left bank of Dnieper, including Kiev, went to Russia. And the whole right bank of Dnieper remained in Poland. Under the rule of Catherine the Great, Russia reclaimed all of its historical lands, including in the south and west. This all lasted until the revolution. Before World War I, Austrian general staff relied on the ideas of Ukrainianization and started actively promoting the ideas of Ukraine and the Ukrainianization. Their motive was obvious. Just before World War I, they wanted to weaken the potential enemy and secure themselves favorable conditions in the border area. So the idea which had emerged in Poland that people residing in that territory were allegedly not really Russians, but rather belonged to a special ethnic group, Ukrainians, started being propagated by the Austrian general staff. As far back as the 19th century, theorists calling for Ukrainian independence appeared. All those, however, claimed that Ukraine should have a very good relationship with Russia. 
They insisted on that. After the 1917 revolution, the Bolsheviks sought to restore the statehood and the civil war began, including the hostilities with Poland. In 1921, peace with Poland was proclaimed, and under that treaty, the right bank of Dnieper River once again was given back to Poland. In 1939, after Poland cooperated with Hitler, he did collaborate with Hitler, you know. Hitler offered Poland peace and a treaty of friendship, an alliance demanding in return that Poland give back to Germany the so-called Danzig Corridor, which connected the bulk of Germany with East Prussia and Königsberg. After World War I, this territory was transferred to Poland, and instead of Danzig, a city of Dansk emerged. Hitler asked them to give it amicably, but they refused. Of course, still they collaborated with Hitler and engaged together in the partitioning of Czechoslovakia. May I ask you, you're making the case that that Ukraine, certainly parts of Ukraine, Eastern Ukraine is in, in effect Russia has been for hundreds of years. Why wouldn't you just take it when you became president 24 years ago? You have nuclear weapons, they don't. If it's actually your land, why did you wait so long? I'll tell you. I'm coming to that. This briefing is coming to an end. It might be boring, but it explains many things. I just don't know how it's relevant. Good. Good. I'm so gratified that you appreciate that. Thank you. So, before World War II, Poland collaborated with Hitler, and although it did not yield to Hitler's demands, it still participated in the partitioning of Czechoslovakia together with Hitler, as the Poles had not given the Danzig Corridor to Germany and went too far, pushing Hitler to start World War II by attacking them. Why was it Poland against whom the war started on 1st September 1939? Poland turned out to be uncompromising and Hitler had nothing to do but start implementing his plans with Poland. By the way, the USSR, I have read some archive documents, behaved very honestly. It asked Poland's permission to transit its troops through the Polish territory to help Czechoslovakia. But the then Polish foreign minister said that if the Soviet planes flew over Poland, they would be downed over the territory of Poland. <coughs> but that doesn't matter. What matters is that the war began, and Poland fell prey to the policies it had pursued against Czechoslovakia, as under the well-known Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. Part of the territory, including western Ukraine, was to be given to Russia. Thus, Russia, which was then named the USSR, regained its historical lands. After the victory in the Great Patriotic War, as we call World War II, all those territories were ultimately enshrined as belonging to Russia, to the USSR. 
As for Poland, it received, apparently in compensation, the lands which had originally been German. The eastern parts of Germany, these are now western lands of Poland. Of course, Poland regained access to the Baltic Sea and Danzig, which was once again given its Polish name. So this was how this situation developed. In 1922, when the USSR was being established, the Bolsheviks started building the USSR and established the Soviet Ukraine, which had never existed before. Stalin insisted that those republics be included in the USSR as autonomous entities. For some inexplicable reason, Lenin, the founder of the Soviet state, insisted that they be entitled to withdraw from the USSR. <clears throat> and again, for some unknown reasons, he transferred to that newly established Soviet Republic of Ukraine some of the lands together with people living there, even though those lands had never been called Ukraine. And yet, they were made part of that Soviet Republic of Ukraine. Those lands included the Black Sea region, which was received under Catherine the Great, and which had no historical connection with Ukraine whatsoever. Even if we go as far back as 1654, when these lands returned to Russian Empire, that territory was the size of three to four regions of modern Ukraine, with no Black Sea region. That was completely out of the question. In 1654? Exactly. I'm just, I, you obviously have encyclopedic knowledge of this region, but why didn't you make this case for the first 22 years as president that Ukraine wasn't a real country? The Soviet Union was given a great deal of territory that had never belonged to it, including the Black Sea region. At some point, when Russia received them as an outcome of the Russo-Turkish Wars, they were called New Russia or Novorossiya. But that does not matter. What matters is that Lenin, the founder of the Soviet state, established Ukraine that way. For decades, the Ukrainian Soviet Republic developed as part of the USSR. And for unknown reasons, again, the Bolsheviks were engaged in Ukrainianization. It was not merely because the Soviet leadership was composed to a great extent of those originating from Ukraine. Rather, it was explained by the general policy of indigenous pursued by the Soviet Union. Same things were done in other Soviet republics. This involved promoting national languages and national cultures, which is not a bad in principle. That is how the Soviet Ukraine was created. After the World War II, Ukraine received, in addition to the lands that had belonged to Poland before the war, part of the lands that had previously belonged to Hungary and Romania. So Romania and Hungary had some of their lands taken away and given to the Soviet Ukraine, and they still remain part of Ukraine. So in this sense, we have every reason to affirm that Ukraine is an artificial state that was shaped at Stalin's will. Do you believe Hungary has a right to take its land back from Ukraine and that other nations have a right to go back to their 1654 <coughs> borders? 
I'm not sure whether they should go back to the 1654 borders. But given Stalin's time, so-called Stalin's regime, which, as many claim, saw numerous violations of human rights and violations of the rights of other states, one may say that they could claim back those lands of theirs while having no right to do that. It is at least understandable. Have you told Viktor Orban that he can have part of Ukraine? Never. I have never told him. Not a single time. We have not even had any conversation on that, but I actually know for sure that Hungarians who live there wanted to get back to their historical land. Moreover, I would like to share a very interesting story with you. I digress, it's a personal one. Somewhere in the early 80s, I went on a road trip in a car from then Leningrad across the Soviet Union through Kiev. Made a stop in Kiev and then went to western Ukraine. I went to the town of Beregovoye. And all the names of towns and villages there were in Russian and in the language I did not understand, in Hungarian in Russian and in Hungarian, not in Ukrainian, in Russian and in Hungarian. I was driving through some kind of village and there were men sitting next to the houses and they were wearing black three-piece suits and black cylinder hats. I asked, are they some kind of entertainers? I was told, no, they were not entertainers, they're Hungarians. I said, what are they doing here? What do you mean? This is their land. They live here. This was during the Soviet time in the 1980s. They preserved the Hungarian language, Hungarian names, and all their national costumes. They are Hungarians and they feel themselves to be Hungarians. And of course, when now there is an infringement. Well, that, that is, and there's a lot of that though. I think many nations are upset about Transylvania as well, as you obviously know. But many nations feel frustrated by the redrawn borders of the wars of the 20th century and wars going back a thousand years, the ones that you mentioned. But the fact is that you didn't make this case in public until two years ago, February. And in the case that you made, which I read today, you, you explain at great length that you felt a physical threat from the West in NATO, including potentially a nuclear threat. And that's what got you to move. Is that a fair characterization of what you said? I understand that my long speeches probably fall outside of the genre of the interview. That is why I asked you at the beginning, are we going to have a serious talk or a show? You said a serious talk. So bear with me, please. We're coming to the point where the Soviet Ukraine was established. Then, in 1991, the Soviet Soviet Union collapsed, and everything that Russia had generously bestowed on Ukraine was dragged away by the latter. 
I'm coming to a very important point of today's agenda. Thank you. After all, the collapse of the Soviet Union was effectively initiated by the Russian leadership. I do not understand what the Russian leadership was guided by at the time, but I suspect there were several reasons to think everything would be fine. First, I think that then Russian leadership believed that the fundamentals of the relationship between Russia and Ukraine were, in fact, a common language. More than 90% of the population there spoke Russian. Family ties. Every third person there had some kind of family or friendship ties. Common culture. Common history. Finally, common faith, coexistence with a single state for centuries, and deeply interconnected economies. All of these were so fundamental. All these elements together make our good relationships inevitable. The second point is a very important one. I want you, as an American citizen and your viewers, to hear about this as well. The former Russian leadership assumed that the Soviet Union had ceased to exist, and therefore there were no longer any ideological dividing lines. Russia even agreed voluntarily and proactively to the collapse of the Soviet Union and believed that this would be understood by the so-called civilized West as an invitation for cooperation and association. That is what Russia was expecting, both from the United States and the so-called collective West as a whole. There were smart people, including in Germany, Egon Barr, a major politician of the Social Democratic Party, who insisted in his personal conversations with the Soviet leadership on the brink of the collapse of the Soviet Union, that a new security system should be established in Europe. Help should be given to unify Germany, but a new system should be also established to include the United States, Canada, Russia and other Central European countries. Yes. But NATO needs not to expand. That's what he said. If NATO expands, everything would be just the same as during the Cold War, only closer to Russia's borders. That's all. He was a wise old man, but no one listened. To him. In fact, he got angry once. If, he said, you don't listen to me, I'm never setting my foot in Moscow once again. Everything happened just as he had said. Yeah, well, it, of course, it did come true. And, I, and you've mentioned this many times. I think it's a fair point. And many in America thought that relations between Russia and the United States would be fine with the collapse of the Soviet Union and the end of the Cold War, that the opposite happened. But you've never explained why you think that happened, except to say that the West fears a strong Russia, but we have a strong China the West does not seem very afraid of. Uh, what about Russia do you think convinced policymakers they had to 
Запад боится сильного Китая больше, чем сильной России. The West is afraid of strong China more than it fears a strong Russia, because Russia has 150 million people and China has 1.5 billion population, and its economy is growing by leaps and bounds, or 5% a year. It used to be even more. But that's enough for China. As Bismarck once put it, potentials are the most important. China's potential is enormous. It is the biggest economy in the world today in terms of purchasing power parity and the size of the economy. It has already overtaken the United States quite a long time ago, and it is growing at a rapid clip. Let's not talk about who is afraid of whom, let's not reason in such terms. And let's get into the fact that after 1991, when Russia expected that it would be welcomed into the brotherly family of civilized nations, nothing like this happened. You tricked us. I don't mean you personally when I say you. Of course, I'm talking about the United States. The promise was that NATO would not expand eastward. But it happened five times. There were five waves of expansion. We tolerated all that. We were trying to persuade them. We were saying, please don't. We are as bourgeois now as you are. We are a market economy and there is no communist party power. Let's negotiate. Moreover, I have also said this publicly before. There was a moment when a certain rift started growing between us. Before that, Yeltsin came to the United States. Remember, he spoke in Congress and said the good words. God bless America. Everything he said were signals. Let us in. Remember the developments in Yugoslavia before the Yeltsin was lavished with praise? As soon as the developments in Yugoslavia started, he raised his voice in support of Serbs, and we couldn't but raise our voices for Serbs in their defense. I understand that there were complex processes on the way there. I do. But Russia could not help raising its voice in support of Serbs, because Serbs are also a special and close-to-us nation, with orthodox culture and so on. It's a nation that has suffered so much for generations. Well, regardless, what is important is that Yeltsin expressed his support. What did the United States do? In violation of international law and the UN Charter, it started bombing Belgrade. It was the United States that led the genie out of the bottle. Moreover, when Russia protested and expressed its resentment, what was said? The UN Charter and international law have become obsolete. Now everyone invokes international law, but at that time they started saying that everything was outdated, everything had to be changed. Indeed, some things need to be changed, as the balance of power has changed, it's true, but not in this manner. Yeltsin was immediately dragged through the mud, accused of alcoholism, of understanding nothing, of knowing nothing. He understood everything, I assure you. Well. I became president in 2000. I thought, okay, the Yugoslav issue is over, but we should try to restore relations. Let's reopen the door that Russia had tried to go through. And moreover, I said it publicly, I can reiterate. At a meeting here in the Kremlin with the outgoing president Bill Clinton, right here in the next room, I said to him, I asked him, Bill, do you think if Russia asked to join NATO, do you think it would happen? Suddenly he said, you know, it's interesting. I think so. But in the evening, when we met for dinner, he said, you know, I've talked to my team. No, no, 
It's not possible now. You can ask him. I think he will watch our interview. He'll confirm it. I wouldn't have said anything like that if it hadn't happened. Okay. Were you sincere? It's impossible now. Would you have joined NATO? Look, I asked the question, is it possible or not? And the answer I got was no. If I was insincere in my desire to find out what the leadership position was... But if he had said yes, would you have joined NATO? If he had said yes, the process of rapprochement would have commenced, and eventually it might have happened, if we had seen some sincere wish on the other side of our partners. But it didn't happen. Well, no means no. Okay, fine. Why do you think that is? Just to get to motive, I know you're clearly bitter about it. Um, I understand. But why do you think the West rebuffed you then? Why the hostility? Why did the end of the Cold War not fix the relationship? What motivates this from your point of view? You said I was bitter about the answer. No, it's not bitterness. It's just a statement of fact. We're not bride and groom, bitterness, resentment. It's not about those kind of matters in such circumstances. We just realized we weren't welcome there, that's all. Okay, fine. But let's build relations in another manner. Let's work for common ground elsewhere. Why we received such a negative response, you should ask your leaders. I can only guess why. Too big a country with its own opinion and so on. And the United States, I've seen how issues are being resolved in NATO. I will give you another example now concerning Ukraine. The U.S. leadership exerts pressure, and all NATO members obediently vote, even if they do not like something. Now, I'll tell you what happened in this regard with Ukraine in 2008, although it's being discussed. I'm not going to open a secret to you, say anything new. Nevertheless, after that we tried to build relations in different ways. For example, the events in the Middle East, in Iraq. We were building relations with the United States in a very soft, prudent, cautious manner. I repeatedly raised the issue that the United States should not support separatism or terrorism in the North Caucasus. But they continue to do it anyway. And political support, information support, financial support, even military support came from the United States and its satellites for terrorist groups in the Caucasus. I once raised this issue with my colleague, also the President of the United States. He says, it's impossible. Do you have proof? I said, yes. I was prepared for this conversation, and I gave him that proof. He looked at it, and you know what he said? I apologize, but that's what happened. I'll quote. He says, well, I'm going to kick their ass. We waited and waited for some response. There was no reply. I said to the FSB director, write to the CIA, what is the result of the conversation with President? He wrote once, twice, and then we got a reply. We have the answer in the archive. The CIA replied, we have been working with the opposition in Russia, we believe that this is the right thing to do, and we will keep on doing it. Just ridiculous. Well, okay, we realized that it was out of the question.
forces in opposition to you. So you're saying the CIA is trying to overthrow your government. Of course, they meant in that particular case, the separatists, the terrorists who fought with us in the Caucasus. That's who they called the opposition. This is the second point. The third moment is a very important one. It's the moment when the U.S. missile defense system was created. The beginning. We persuaded for a long time not to do it in the United States. Moreover, after was invited by Bush Jr.'s father, Bush Sr., to visit his place on the ocean, I had a very serious conversation with President Bush and his team. I proposed that the United States, Russia and Europe jointly create a missile defense system that we believe, if created unilaterally, threatens our security, despite the fact that the United States officially said that it was being created against missile threats from Iran. That was the justification for the deployment of the missile defense system. I suggested working together, Russia, the United States and Europe. They said it was very interesting. They asked me, are you serious? I said, absolutely. May I ask, what year was this? I don't remember. It is easy to find out on the Internet when I was in the USA at the invitation of a Bush senior. It is even easier to learn from someone I'm going to tell you about. I was told it was very interesting. I said, just imagine if we could tackle such a global strategic security challenge together. The world will change. We'll probably have disputes, probably economic and even political ones, but we could drastically change the situation in the world. He says yes and asks, are you serious? I said, of course, we need to think about it, I'm sold. I said, go ahead, please. Then Secretary of Defense Gates, former Director of CIA and Secretary of State Rice came in here, in this cabinet, right here at this table. They sat on this table. Me, the Foreign Minister, the Russian Defense Minister on that side, they said to me, Yes, we have thought about it. We agree. I said, thank God, great, but with some exceptions. So twice you've described U.S. presidents making decisions and then being undercut by their agency heads. So it sounds like you're describing a system that's not run by the people who are elected in your telling. That's right, that's right. In the end, they just told us to get lost. I'm not going to tell you the details because I think it's incorrect. After all, it was confidential conversation. But our proposal was declined, that's a fact. It was right then when I said, look, but then we will be forced to take countermeasures. We will create such strike systems that will certainly overcome missile defense systems. The answer was... We are not doing this against you, and you do what you want, assuming that it is not against us, not against the United States. I said, okay. Very well. That's the way it went. And we created hypersonic systems with intercontinental range, and we continue to develop them. We are now ahead of everyone, the United States and the other countries, in terms of the development of hypersonic strike systems, and we are improving them every day.
But it wasn't us. We proposed to go the other way, and we were pushed back. Now, about NATO's expansion to the east. Well, we were promised no NATO to the east, not an inch to the east, as we were told. And then what? They said, well, it's not enshrined on paper, so we'll expand. So there were five waves of expansion, the Baltic states, the whole of Eastern Europe, and so on. And now I come to the main thing. They have come to the Ukraine, ultimately. In 2008, at the summit in Bucharest, they declared that the doors for Ukraine and Georgia to join NATO were open. Now about how decisions are made there. Germany, France seem to be against it, as well as some other European countries. But then, as it turned out, later President Bush, and he's such a tough guy, a tough politician, as I was told later, he exerted pressure on us and we had to agree. It's ridiculous, it's like kindergarten. Where are the guarantees? What kindergarten is this? What kind of people are these? Who are they? You see, they were pressed, they agreed. And then they say, Ukraine won't be in the NATO, you know? I say, I don't know. I know you agreed in 2008. Why won't you agree in the future? Well, they pressed us then. I say, why won't they press you tomorrow? And you'll agree again. Well, it's nonsensical. Who's there to talk to? I just don't understand. We're ready to talk. But with whom? Where are the guarantees? None. So they started to develop the territory of Ukraine. Whatever is there, I have told you the background, how this territory developed, what kind of relations there were with Russia. Every second or third person there has always had some ties with Russia. And during the elections in already independent sovereign Ukraine, which gained its independence as a result of the Declaration of Independence, and by the way, it says that Ukraine is a neutral state, and in 2008, suddenly the doors or gates to NATO were open to it. Oh, come on. This is not how we agreed. Now, all the presidents that have come to power in Ukraine, they relied on electorate with a good attitude to Russia in one way or the other. This is the southeast of Ukraine. This is a large number of people. And it was very difficult to dissuade this electorate, which had a positive attitude towards Russia. Viktor Yanukovych came to power, and how? The first time he won after President Kuchma, they organized the third round, which is not provided for in the constitution of Ukraine. This is a coup d'etat. Just imagine, someone in the United States wouldn't like the outcome. In 2014? Before that. No, this was before that, after President Kuchma, Viktor Yanukovych, won the elections. However, his opponents did not recognize that victory. The U.S. supported the opposition, and the third round was scheduled. What is this? This is a coup. The U.S. supported it, and the winner of the third round came to power. Imagine if in the U.S. something was not to someone's liking, and the third round of election, which the U.S. Constitution does not provide for, was organized. Nonetheless, it was done in Ukraine. Okay, Viktor Yushchenko, who was considered a pro-Western politician, came to power. Fine, we have built relations with him as well. He came to Moscow, 
with visits. We visited Kiev. I visited Sioux. We met in an informal setting. If he's pro-Western, so be it. It's fine. Let people do their job. The situation should have developed inside the independent Ukraine itself. As a result of Kuchma's leadership, things got worse and Viktor Yanukovych came to power after all. Maybe he wasn't the best president and politician. I don't know. I don't want to give assessments. However, the issue of the association with the EU came up. We have always been lenient to this. Suit yourself. But when we read through the Treaty of Association, it turned out to be a problem for us, since we had a free trade zone and open customs borders with Ukraine, which under this association had to open its borders for Europe, which would have led to flooding of our market. We said, no, this is not going to work. We shall close our borders with Ukraine then. The customs borders, that is. Yanukovych started to calculate how much Ukraine was going to gain, how much to lose, and said to his European partners, I need more time to think before signing. The moment he said that, the opposition began to take destructive steps which were supported by the West. It all came down to Maidan and a coup in Ukraine. So he did more trade with Russia than with the EU. Ukraine did. Of course. It's not even the matter of trade volume, although for the most part it is. It is the matter of cooperation size, which the entire Ukrainian economy was based on. The cooperation size between the enterprises were very close since the times of the Soviet Union. One enterprise there used to produce components to be assembled both in Russia and Ukraine and vice versa. They used to be very close ties. A coup d'etat was committed, although I shall not delve into details now, as I find doing it inappropriate, the U.S. told us. Calm Yanukovych down, and we will calm the opposition. Let the situation unfold in the scenario of a political settlement. We said, all right, agreed, let's do it this way. As the Americans requested, Yanukovych did use neither the armed forces nor the police, Yet the armed opposition committed a coup in Kiev. What is that supposed to mean? Who do you think you are? I wanted to ask the then U.S. leadership. With the backing of whom? With the backing of CIA, of course. The organization you wanted to join back in the day, as I understand. We should thank God they didn't let you in. Although... It is a serious organization. I understand. My former vis-a-vis in the sense that I served in the first main directorate, Soviet Union's intelligence service. They have always been our opponents. A job is a job. Technically, they did everything right. They achieved their goal of changing the government. However, from a political standpoint, it was a colossal mistake. Surely it was political leadership's miscalculation. They should have seen what it would evolve into. So, in 2008, the doors of NATO were opened for Ukraine. In 2014, there was a coup. They started persecuting those who did not accept the coup. And it was indeed a coup. They created a threat to Crimea, which we had to take under our protection. 
They launched the war in Donbas in 2014 with the use of aircraft and artillery against civilians. This is when it all started. There is a video of aircraft attacking Donetsk from above. They launched a large-scale military operation, then another one. When they failed, they started to prepare the next one. All this against the background of military development of this territory and opening of NATO's doors. How could we not express concern over what was happening? From our side, this would have been a culpable negligence. That's what it would have been. It's just that the U.S. political leadership pushed us to the line we could not cross, because doing so could have ruined Russia itself. Besides, we could not leave our brothers in faith, in fact, a part of Russian people, in the face of this war machine. What was the, so, but that was eight years before the current conflict started. So what was the trigger for you? What was the moment where you decided you had to do this. Initially, it was the coup in Ukraine that provoked the conflict. By the way, back then the representatives of three European countries, Germany, Poland and France, arrived. They were the guarantors of the signed agreement between the government of Yanukovych and the opposition. They signed it as guarantors. Despite that, the opposition committed a coup and all these countries pretended that they didn't remember that they were guarantors of the peaceful settlement. They just threw it in the stove right away, and nobody recalls that. I don't know if the U.S. know anything about the agreement between the opposition and the authorities and its three guarantors who, instead of bringing this whole situation back in the political field, supported the coup. Although it was meaningless, believe me, because President Yanukovych agreed to all conditions. He was ready to hold an early election, which he had no chance of winning, frankly speaking. Everyone knew that. Then why the coup? Why the victims? Why threatening Crimea? Why launching an operation in Donbas? This I do not understand. That is exactly what the miscalculation is. CIA did its job to complete the coup. I think one of the deputy secretaries of state said that it cost a large sum of money, almost five billion. But the political mistake was colossal. Why would they have to do that? All this could have been done legally, without victims, without military action without losing Crimea. We would have never considered to even lift a finger if it hadn't been for the bloody developments on Maidan. Because we agreed with the fact that after the collapse of the Soviet Union, our borders should be along the borders of former Union's republics. We agreed to that. But we never agreed to NATO's expansion, and moreover, we never agreed that Ukraine would be in NATO. We did not agree to NATO bases there without any discussion with us. For decades, we kept asking, don't do this, don't do that. 
в последних событиях. Ну, во-первых, Прямо сказали, что подписывали A year or a year and a half ago, former leaders of Germany and France said openly to the whole world that they indeed signed the Minsk agreements, but they never intended to implement them. They simply led us by the nose. Was there anyone free to talk to? Did you call a U.S. president's secretary of state and say, if you keep militarizing Ukraine with NATO forces, this is going to get, this is going to be a, we're going to act. We talked about this all the time. We addressed the United States and European countries' leadership to stop these developments immediately, to implement the Minsk agreements. Frankly speaking, I didn't know how we were going to do this, but I was ready to implement them. These agreements were complicated for Ukraine. They included lots of elements of those Donbass territories' independence. That's true. However, I was absolutely confident, and I'm saying this to you now, I honestly believe that if we manage to convince the residents of Donbass, and we had to work hard to convince them to return to the Ukrainian statehood, then gradually the wounds would start to heal. When this part of territory reintegrated itself into common social environment, When the pensions and social benefits were paid again, all the pieces would gradually fall into place. No, nobody wanted that. Everybody wanted to resolve the issue by military force only. But we could not let that happen. And the situation got to the point when the Ukrainian side announced, no, we will not do anything. They also started preparing for military action. It was they who started the war in 2014. Our goal is to stop this war. And we did not start this war in 2022. This is an attempt to stop it. Do you think you've stopped it now? I mean, have you achieved your aims? No, we haven't achieved our aims yet, because one of them is denazification. This means the prohibition of all kinds of neo-Nazi movements. This is one of the problems that we discussed during the negotiation process, which ended in Istanbul early this year. And it was not our initiative, because we were told by the Europeans, in particular, that it was necessary to create conditions for the final signing of the documents. My counterparts in France and Germany said, how can you imagine them signing a treaty with a gun to their heads? The troops should be pulled back from Kiev. I said, all right, we withdrew the troops from Kiev. 
As soon as we pulled back our troops from Kiev, our Ukrainian negotiators immediately threw all our agreements reached in Istanbul into the bin and got prepared for a long-standing armed confrontation with the help of the United States and its satellites in Europe. That is how the situation has developed. And that is how it looks now. But, but what do, is part of my ignorance, what is denazification? What would that mean? That is what I want to talk about right now. It is a very important issue. Denazification. After gaining independence, Ukraine began to search, as some Western analysts say, its identity. And it came up with nothing better than to build this identity upon some false heroes who collaborated with Hitler. I have already said that in the early 19th century, when the theorists of independence and sovereignty of Ukraine appeared, they assumed that an independent Ukraine should have very good relations with Russia. But due to the historical development, those territories were part of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. Poland, where Ukrainians were persecuted and treated quite brutally as well as were subject to cruel behavior. There were also attempts to destroy their identity. All this remained in the memory of the people. When World War II broke out, part of this extremely nationalist elite collaborated with Hitler, believing that he would bring them freedom. The German troops, even the SS troops, made Hitler's collaborators do the dirtiest work of exterminating the Polish and Jewish population. Hence this brutal massacre of the Polish and Jewish population, as well as the Russian population too. This was led by the persons who are well known, Bandera, Shukevich. It was those people who were made national heroes. That is the problem. And we are constantly told that nationalism and neo-Nazism exist in other countries as well. Yes, they are seedlings, but we approve them. And other countries fight against them. But Ukraine is not the case. These people have been made into national heroes in Ukraine. Monuments to those people have been erected. They are displayed on flags. Their names are shouted by crowds that walk with torches, as it was in Nazi Germany. These were people who exterminated Poles, Jews and Russians. It is necessary to stop this practice and prevent the dissemination of this concept. I say that Ukrainians are part of the one Russian people. They say, no, we are a separate people. Okay, fine. If they consider themselves a separate people, they have the right to do so, but not on the basis of Nazism, the Nazi ideology. Would you be satisfied with the territory that you have now? 
Нет, нет, закончим. Вы же задали вопрос по неонацизму и денацификации. I will finish answering the question. You just asked the question about neo-Nazism and denazification. Look, the president of Ukraine visited Canada. This story is well known, but being silenced in the Western countries. The Canadian parliament introduced a man who, as the speaker of the parliament said, fought against the Russians during the World War II. Well, who fought against the Russians during the World War II? Hitler and his accomplices. It turned out that this man served in the SS troops. He personally killed Russians, Poles and Jews. The SS troops consisted of Ukrainian nationalists who did this dirty work. The president of Ukraine stood up with the entire parliament of Canada and applauded this man. How can this be imagined? The president of Ukraine himself, by the way, is a Jew by nationality. Really, my question is, what do you do about it? I mean, Hitler's been dead for 80 years. Nazi Germany no longer exists. And so, true. And so... I think what you're saying is you want to extinguish or at least control Ukrainian nationalism, but how? How do you do that? Listen to me. Your question is very subtle, and I can tell you what I think. Do not take offense. Of course. This question appears to be subtle. It is quite pesky. You say Hitler has been dead for so many years, 80 years. But his example lives on. People who exterminated Jews, Russians and Poles are alive. And the president, the current president of today's Ukraine, applauds him in the Canadian parliament gives a standing ovation. Can we say that we have completely uprooted this ideology if what we see is happening today? That is what denazification is in our understanding. We have to get rid of those people who maintain this concept and support this practice and try to preserve it. That is what denazification is. That is what we mean. Right. My question was a little more specific. It was, of course, not a defense of... Nazis, neo or otherwise, it was a practical question. You don't control the entire country. You don't control Kiev. You don't seem like you want to. So how how do you eliminate a culture or an ideology or feelings or a view of history in a country that you don't control? What do you do about that? You know, as strange as it may seem to you, during the negotiations at Istanbul, we did agree that we have it all in writing. Neo-Nazism would not be cultivated in Ukraine, including that it would be prohibited at the legislative level. Mr. Carson, we agreed on that. This, it turns out, can be done during the negotiation process. And there's nothing humiliating for Ukraine as a modern civilized state. Is any state allowed to promote Nazism? It is not, is it? That is it. Um, will there be talks, and why haven't there been talks, about resolving the conflict in Ukraine, peace talks? 
Они были, они были, они э, э, дошли до очень высокой стадии согласования позиций. They have been. They reached a very high stage of coordination of positions in a complex process, but still they were almost finalized. But after we withdrew our troops from Kiev, as I have already said, the other side threw away all these agreements and obeyed the instructions of Western countries, European countries and the United States to fight Russia to the bitter end. Moreover, the president of Ukraine has legislated a ban on negotiating with Russia. He signed a decree forbidding everyone to negotiate with Russia. But how are we going to negotiate if he forbade himself and everyone to do this? We know that he is putting forward some ideas about this settlement. But in order to agree on something, we need to have a dialogue. Is that not right? Well, but you wouldn't be speaking to the Ukrainian president, you'd be speaking to the American president. When was the last time you spoke to Joe Biden? I cannot remember when I talked to him. I do not remember. We can look it up. You don't remember? No. Why? Do I have to remember everything? I have my own things to do. We have domestic political affairs. Well, he's funding the war that you're fighting, so I would think that would be memorable. Well, yes, he funds, but I talked to him before the special military operation, of course. And I said to him then, by the way, I will not go into details, I never do, but I said to him then, I believe that you are making a huge mistake of historic proportions by supporting everything that is happening there, in Ukraine, by pushing Russia away. I told him, told him repeatedly, by the way. I think that would be correct if I stop here. What did he say? Ask him, please. It is easier for you. You are a citizen of the United States. Go and ask him. It is not appropriate for me to comment on our conversation. But, but, but you haven't spoken to him since before February of 2022. No, we haven't spoken. Certain contacts are being maintained, though. Speaking of which, do you remember what I told you about my proposal to work together on a missile defense system? Yes. You can ask all of them. All of them are safe and sound, thank God. The former president, Condoleezza, is safe and sound. And I think Mr. Gates and the current director of the intelligence agency, Mr. Burns, the then ambassador to Russia, in my opinion, are very yes. successful ambassador. They were all witnesses to these conversations. Ask them. Same here. If you are interested in what Mr. President Biden responded to me, ask him. At any rate, I talked to him about it. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely interested, but from the outside, it seems like this could devolve or evolve into something that brings the entire world into conflict and could um, initiate some, a nuclear launch. And so why don't you just call Biden and say, let's work this out? What's there to work out? It's very simple. I repeat, we have contacts through various agencies. I will tell you what we are saying on this matter and what we are conveying to the U.S. leadership. If you really want to stop fighting, 
you need to stop supplying weapons. It will be over within a few weeks. That's it. And then we can agree on some terms. Before you do that, stop. What's easier? Why would I call him? What should I talk to him about? Or beg him for what? And, and what messages do you get back? You're going to deliver such and such weapons to Ukraine? Oh, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, please don't. What is there to talk about? Do you think NATO is worried about this becoming a global war or a nuclear conflict? At least that's what they're talking about. And they're trying to intimidate their own population with an imaginary Russian threat. This is an obvious fact. And thinking people, not Philistines, but thinking people, analysts, those who are engaged in real politics, just smart people, understand perfectly well that this is a fake. They're trying to fuel the Russian threat. The threat I think you're referring to is a Russian invasion of Poland, Latvia, expansionist behavior. Is Can you imagine a scenario where you sent Russian troops to Poland? Only in one case, if Poland attacks Russia. Why? Because we have no interest in Poland, Latvia or anywhere else. Why would we do that? We simply don't have any interest. It's just threat-mongering. Well, the argument, I know you know this, is that, well, he invaded Ukraine, he has territorial aims across the continent, and you're saying unequivocally you don't. It is absolutely out of the question. You just don't have to be any kind of analyst. It goes against common sense to get involved in some kind of a global war. And a global war will bring all humanity to the brink of destruction. It's obvious. There are certainly means of deterrence. They have been scaring everyone with us all along. Tomorrow Russia will use tactical nuclear weapons. Tomorrow Russia will use that. No, the day after tomorrow. So what? In order to extort additional money from U.S. taxpayers and European taxpayers in the confrontation with Russia in the Ukrainian theater of war. The goal is to weaken Russia as much as possible. One of uh, our senior United States senators from the state of New York, Chuck Schumer, said yesterday, I believe, that we have to continue to fund the Ukrainian effort or U.S. soldiers, citizens could wind up fighting there. How do you assess that? This is a provocation and a cheap provocation at that. I do not understand why American soldiers should fight in Ukraine. There are mercenaries from the United States there. The bigger number of mercenaries comes from Poland, with mercenaries from the United States in second place and mercenaries from Georgia in third place. Well, if somebody has the desire to send regular troops, that would certainly bring humanity to the brink of very serious global conflict. This is obvious. Do the United States need this? What for? 
thousands of miles away from your national territory. Don't you have anything better to do? You have issues on the border, issues with migration, issues with the national debt, more than $33 trillion. You have nothing better to do, so you should fight in Ukraine? Wouldn't it be better to negotiate with Russia, make an agreement, already understanding the situation that is developing today, realizing that Russia will fight for its interests to the end? And realizing this, actually return to common sense, start respecting our country and its interests, and look for certain solutions. It seems to me that this is much smarter and more rational. Who blew up Nord Stream? <laughs> you for sure. I was busy that day. <laughs> Nate, it, do you have... Do you have <laughs> uh, I did not blow up Nord Stream. Uh, <laughs> thank you, though. You personally may have an alibi, but the CIA has no such alibi. Do, do you have evidence that NATO or the CIA did it? You know, I won't get into details, but people always say in such cases, look for someone who is interested. But in this case, we should not only look for someone who is interested, but also for someone who has capabilities. Because there may be many people interested, but not all of them are capable of sinking to the bottom of the Baltic Sea and carrying out this explosion. These two components should be connected. Who is interested and who is capable of doing it? But I'm confused. I mean, that's the biggest act of industrial terrorism ever. And it's the largest emission of CO2 in, in history. Okay, so if you had evidence, and presumably given your security services, your intel services, you would, that NATO, the U.S., CIA, the West did this, why wouldn't you present it and win a propaganda victory? <laughs> in the war of propaganda, it is very difficult to defeat the United States because the United States controls all the world's media and many European media. The ultimate beneficiary of the biggest European media are American financial institutions. Don't you know that? So it is possible to get involved in this work, but it is cost prohibitive, so to speak. We can simply shine the spotlight on our sources of information and we will not achieve results. It is clear to the whole world what happened, and even American analysts talk about it directly. It's true. Yes. I, but, but here's a question you may be able to answer. You worked in Germany, famously. Um, the Germans clearly know that their NATO partner did this, but they and it damaged their economy greatly. It may never recover. Why are they being silent about it? That's very confusing to me. Why wouldn't the Germans say something about it? <laughs> this also confuses me. But today's German leadership is guided by the interests of the collective West rather than its national interests. Otherwise, it is difficult to explain the logic of their action or inaction. After all, it is not only about Nord Stream 1, which was blown up, and the Nord Stream 2 was damaged. But one pipe is safe and sound, and gas can be supplied to Europe through it. But Germany does not open it. We are ready, please.
There's another route through Poland called Yamal Europe, which also allows for large flow. Poland has closed it, but Poland packs from the German hand. It receives money from the pan-European funds, and Germany is the main donor to these pan-European funds. Germany feeds Poland to a certain extent, and they close their route to Germany. Why? I don't understand. Ukraine, to which the Germans supply weapons and give money. Germany is the second sponsor of the United States in terms of financial aid to Ukraine. There are two gas routes through Ukraine. They simply closed one route, the Ukrainians. Open the second route and please get gas from Russia. They do not open it. Why don't the Germans say? Look, guys, we give you money and weapons. Open up the valve, please. Let the gas from Russia pass through for us. We're buying liquefied gas at exorbitant prices in Europe, which brings the level of our competitiveness and economy in general down to zero. So you want us to give you money? Let us have the decent existence. Make money for our economy, because this is where the money we give you comes from. They refuse to do so. Why? Ask them. That is what is like in their heads. Those are highly incompetent people. Well, maybe the world is breaking into two hemispheres, one with cheap energy, the other without. And I want to ask you that. If if we're now a multipolar world, obviously we are. Can you describe the blocks of alliances? Who Who is in each side, do you think? Listen, you have said that the world is breaking into two hemispheres. A human brain is divided into two hemispheres. One is responsible for one type of activities, the other one is more about creativity and so on. But it is still one and the same head. The world should be a single whole. Security should be shared rather than meant for the golden billion. That is the only scenario where the world could be stable, sustainable and predictable. Until then, while the head is split in two parts, it is an illness, a serious adverse condition. It is a period of severe disease that the world is going through now. But I think that, thanks to honest journalism, this work is akin to work of the doctors, this could somehow be remedied. Well, let's just give one example, the, the U.S. dollar, which has kind of united the world uh, in a lot of ways, maybe not to your advantage, but certainly to ours. <laughs> Is that going away as the reserve currency, the, the, common, the universally accepted currency? How have sanctions, do you think, changed the dollar's place in the world? You know, to use the dollar as a tool of foreign policy struggle is one of the biggest strategic mistakes made by the U.S. political leadership. The dollar is the cornerstone of the United States power. I think everyone understands very well that no matter how many dollars are printed, they are quickly dispersed all over the world. Inflation in the United States is minimal. It's about 3 or 3.4%, which is, I think, totally acceptable for the U.S. 
but they won't stop printing. What does the debt of $33 trillion tell us about? It is about the emission. Nevertheless, it is the main weapon used by the United States to preserve its power across the world. As soon as the political leadership decided to use the U.S. dollar as a tool of political struggle, a blow was dealt to this American power. I would not like to use any strong language, but it is a stupid thing to do and a grave mistake. Look at what is going on in the world. Even the United States allies are now downsizing their dollar reserves. Seeing this, everyone starts looking for ways to protect themselves. But the fact that the United States applies restrictive measures to certain countries, such as placing restrictions on transactions, freezing assets, etc., causes great concern and sends a signal to the whole world. What did we have here? Until 2022, about 80% of Russian foreign trade transactions were made in U.S. dollars and euros. U.S. dollars accounted for approximately 50% of our transactions with third countries, while currently it is down to 13%. It wasn't us who banned the use of the U.S. dollar. We had no such intention. It was decision of the United States to restrict our transactions in U.S. dollars. I think it is complete foolishness from the point of view of the interests of the United States itself and its taxpayers, as it damages the U.S. economy, undermines the power of the United States across the world. By the way, our transactions in yuan accounted for about 3%. Today, 34% of our transactions are made in rubles and about as much, a little over 34% in yuan. Why did the United States do this? My only guess is self-conceit. They probably thought it would lead to full collapse, but nothing collapsed. Moreover, other countries, including oil producers, are thinking of and already accepting payments for oil in yuan. Do you even realize what is going on or not? Does anyone in the United States realize this? What are you doing? You are cutting yourself off. All experts say this. Ask any intelligent and thinking person in the United States what the dollar means for the U.S. You're killing it with your own hands. I think that's a fair, I, I think that's a fair assessment. The question is what comes next, and maybe you trade one colonial power for another much less sentimental and forgiving colonial power. I mean, are, is the, the, the BRICS, for example, in danger of being completely dominated by the Chinese, the Chinese economy, uh, in a way that's not good for their sovereignty. Do you worry about that? Well, we have heard those boogeyman stories before. It is a boogeyman story. We're neighbors with China. You cannot choose neighbors just as you cannot choose close relatives. We share a border of thousand kilometers with them. This is number one. Second, we have a centuries-long history of coexistence. We're used to it. Third, 
China's foreign policy philosophy is not aggressive. Its idea is to always look for compromise, and we can see that. The next point is as follows. We are always told the same boogeyman story, and here it goes again, through an euphemistic form, but it is still the same boogeyman story. The cooperation with China keeps increasing. The pace at which China's cooperation with Europe is growing is higher and greater than that of the growth of Chinese-Russian cooperation. Ask Europeans, aren't they afraid? They might be, I don't know. But they are still trying to access China's market at all costs, especially now that they are facing economic problems. Chinese businesses are also exploring the European market. Do Chinese businesses have small presence in the United States? Yes, the political decisions are such that they are trying to limit their cooperation with China. It is to your own detriment, Mr. Tucker, that you are limiting cooperation with China. You are hurting yourself. It is a delicate matter, and there are no silver bullet solutions, just as it is with the dollar. So, before introducing any illegitimate sanctions, illegitimate in terms of the Charter of the United Nations, one should think very carefully. For decision makers, this appears to be a problem. So you said a moment ago that the world would be a lot better if it weren't broken into competing alliances, if there was cooperation globally. One of the reasons you don't have that is because the current American administration is dead set against you. Do you think if there were a new administration after Joe Biden that you would be able to reestablish communication with the U.S. government? Or does it not matter who the president is? I will tell you, but let me finish the previous thought. We, together with my colleague and friend, President Xi Jinping, set a goal to reach $200 billion of mutual trade with China this year. We have exceeded this level. According to our figures, our bilateral trade with China totals already $230 billion, and the Chinese statistics says... It is $240 billion. One more important thing. Our trade is well-balanced, mutually complementary in high-tech, energy, scientific research and development. It is very balanced. As for BRICS, where Russia took over the presidency this year, the BRICS countries are, by and large, developing very rapidly. Look, if memory serves me right, Back in 1992, the share of the G7 countries in the world economy amounted to 47%, whereas in 2022, it was down to, I think, a little over 30%. The BRICS countries accounted for only 16% in 1992, but now their share is greater than that of the G7. It has nothing to do with the events in Ukraine. This is due to the trends of global development and world economy, as I mentioned just now. And this is inevitable. This will keep happening. It is like the rise of the sun. You cannot prevent the sun from rising. You have to adapt to it. How do the United States adapt? With the help of force, sanctions, pressure, bombings, 
and use of armed forces. This is about self-conceit. Your political establishment does not understand that the world is changing under objective circumstances. And in order to preserve your level, even if someone aspires, pardon me, to the level of dominance, you have to make the right decisions in a competent and timely manner. Such brutal actions, including with regard to Russia and, say, other countries, are counterproductive. This is an obvious fact. It has already become evident. You just asked me if another leader comes and changes something. It is not about the leader. It is not about the personality of a particular person. I had a very good relationship with, uh, say, Bush. I know that in the United States, he was portrayed as some kind of a country boy who does not understand much. I assure you that this is not the case. I think he made a lot of mistakes with regard to Russia, too. I told you about 2008 and the decision in Bucharest to open the NATO's doors to for Ukraine and so on. That happened during his presidency. He actually exercised pressure on the Europeans. But in general, on a personal human level, I had a very good relationship with him. He was no worse than any other American or Russian or European politician. I assure you, he understood what he was doing as well as others. I had such personal relationship with Trump as well. It is not about the personality of the leader. It is about the elite's mindset. If the idea of domination at any cost, based also on forceful actions, dominates the American society, nothing will change. It will only get worse. But if, in the end, one comes to the awareness that the world has been changing due to the objective circumstances and that one should be able to adapt to them in time, using the advantages that the U.S. still has today, then perhaps something may change. Look, China's economy has become the first economy in the world in purchasing power parity. In terms of volume, it overtook the U.S. a long time ago. The U.S.A. comes second, then India, one and a half billion people, and then Japan, with Russia in the fifth place. Russia was the first economy in Europe last year, despite all the sanctions and restrictions. Is it normal from your point of view? Sanctions, restrictions, impossibility of payments in dollars, being cut off from swift services, sanctions against our ships carrying oil, sanctions against airplanes, sanctions in everything, everywhere. The largest number of sanctions in the world which are applied are applied against Russia. And we have become Europe's first economy during this time. The tools that U.S. uses don't work. Well, one has to think about what to do. If this realization comes to the ruling elites, then yes. Then the first person of the state will act in anticipation of what the voters and the people who make decisions at various levels expect from this person. Then maybe something will change. You're describing two different systems. You say that the leader acts in the interest of the voters, but you also say these decisions are not made by the leader, they're made by the ruling classes. 
you've run this country for so long, you've known all these American presidents, what are those power centers in the United States, do you think? Like, who actually makes the decisions? I don't know. America is a complex country, conservative on one hand, rapidly changing on the other. It's not easy for us to sort it all out. Who makes decisions in the elections? Is it possible to understand this when each state has its own legislation? Each state regulates itself? Someone can be excluded from elections at the state level. It is a two-stage electoral system. It is very difficult for us to understand it. Certainly there are two parties that are dominant, the Republicans and the Democrats, and within this party system, the centers that make decisions, that prepare decisions. Then, look, why, in my opinion, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, such an erroneous, crude, completely unjustified policy of pressure was pursued against Russia? After all, this is a policy of pressure. NATO expansion, support for the separatists in Caucasus, creation of a missile defense system. These are all elements of pressure. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Then, dragging Ukraine into NATO is all about pressure, pressure, pressure. Why? I think, among other things, because excessive production capacities were created. During the confrontation with the Soviet Union, there were many centers created and specialists on the Soviet Union who could not do anything else. They convinced the political leadership that it is necessary to continue chiseling Russia, to try to break it up, to create on this territory several quasi-state entities and to subdue them in a divided form, to use their combined potential for the future struggle with China. This is a mistake, including the excessive potential of those who worked for the confrontation with the Soviet Union. It is necessary to get rid of this. There should be new, fresh forces, people who look into the future and understand what is happening in the world. Look at how Indonesia is developing. 600 million people. Where can we get away from that? Nowhere. We just have to assume that Indonesia will enter It is already in the club of the world's leading economies, no matter who likes it or dislikes it. Yes, we understand and are aware that in the United States, despite all the economic problems, the situation is still normal with the economy growing decently. The GDP is growing by 2.5%, if I'm not mistaken. But if we want to ensure the future, then we need to change our approach to what is changing. As I already said, the world would nevertheless change, regardless of how the developments in Ukraine end. The world is changing. In the United States themselves, experts are writing that the United States are nonetheless gradually changing their position in the world. It is your experts who write that. I just read them. The only question is how this would happen, painfully and quickly, or gently and gradually. And this is written by people who are not anti-American. They simply follow global development trends. That's it. And in order to assess them and change policies, we need people who think, look forward, can analyze and recommend certain decisions at the level of political leaders.
I just have to ask, you've said clearly that NATO expansion eastward is a violation of the promise you all were made in 1990. It's a threat to your country. Right before you sent troops into Ukraine, the vice president of the United States went to the Munich Security Conference and encouraged the president of Ukraine to join NATO. Do you think that was an effort to provoke you into military action? Мы просто, я еще раз повторяю, мы многократно, многократно предлагали... I repeat once again, we have repeatedly, repeatedly proposed to seek a solution to the problems that arose in Ukraine after 2014 coup d'etat through peaceful means. But no one listened to us. And moreover, the Ukrainian leaders who were under the complete U.S. control suddenly declared that they would not comply with the Minsk agreements. They disliked everything there and continued military activity in that territory. And in parallel, that territory was being exploited by NATO military structures under the guise of various personnel training and retraining centers. They essentially began to create bases there. That's all. Ukraine announced that the Russians were a non-titular nationality while passing the laws that limit the rights of non-titular nationalities in Ukraine. Ukraine, having received all these southeastern territories as a gift from the Russian people, suddenly announced that the Russians were a non-titular nationality in that territory. Is that normal? All this put together led to the decision to end the war that neo-Nazis started in Ukraine in 2014. Do you, do you think Zelensky has the freedom to negotiate a settlement to this conflict? I don't know the details. Of course, it's difficult for me to judge. But I believe he has, in any case, he used to have. His father fought against the fascists, Nazis, during World War II. I once talked to him about this. I said, Volodya, what are you doing? Why are you supporting neo-Nazis in Ukraine today, while your father fought against fascism? He was a frontline soldier. I will not tell you what he answered. This is a separate topic, and I think it's incorrect for me to do so. But as to the freedom of choice, why not? He came to power on the expectations of Ukrainian people that he would lead Ukraine to peace. He talked about this. It was thanks to this that he won the elections overwhelmingly. But then, when he came to power, in my opinion, he realized two things. Firstly, it is better not to clash with neo-Nazis and nationalists because they are aggressive and very active. You can expect anything from them. And secondly, the U.S.-led West supports them and will always support those who antagonize with Russia. It is beneficial and safe. So he took the relevant position despite promising his people to end the war in Ukraine. He deceived his voters. But do you think at this point, as of February 2024, he has the latitude, the freedom to speak with you or your government directly about putting an end to this, which clearly isn't helping his country or the world? Can he do that, do you think? No, why not? 
Why not? He considers himself head of state. He won the elections. Although we believe in Russia that the coup d'etat is the primary source of power for everything that happened after 2014. And in this sense, even today, government is flawed. But he considers himself the president and he is recognized by the United States, all of Europe and practically the rest of the world in such a capacity. Why not? He can. We negotiated with Ukraine in Istanbul. We agreed. He was aware of this. Moreover, the negotiation group leader, Mr. Arachemia is his last name, I believe still has the faction of the ruling party, the party of the president in the Rada. He still has the presidential faction in the Rada, the country's parliament. He still sits there. He even put his preliminary signature on the document I am telling you about. But then he publicly stated to the whole world, we were ready to sign this document, but Mr. Johnson, then the Prime Minister of Great Britain, came and dissuaded us from doing this, saying it was better to fight Russia. They would give everything needed for us to return what was lost during the clashes with Russia. And we agreed with this proposal. Look, his statement has been published. He said it publicly. Can they return to this or not? The question is, do they want it or not? Further on, President Ukraine issued a decree prohibiting negotiations with us. Let him cancel that decree. And that's it. We have never refused negotiations, indeed. We hear all the time, is Russia ready? Yes, we have not refused. It was them who publicly refused. Well, let him cancel his decree and enter into negotiations. We have never refused. And the fact that they obeyed the demand or persuasion of Mr. Johnson, the former Prime Minister of Great Britain, seems ridiculous and very sad to me. Because, as Mr. Arakamiya put it, we could have stopped those hostilities with war a year and a half ago already. But the British persuaded us and we refused this. Where is Mr. Johnson now? And the war continues. That's a good question. Where do you think he is and why did he do that? Hell knows. I don't understand it myself. There was a general starting point. For some reason, Everyone had the illusion that Russia could be defeated on the battlefield. Because of arrogance, because of a pure heart, but not because of a great mind. You've described uh, the connection between Russia and Ukraine. You've described Russia itself a couple of times as orthodox. That's central to your understanding of Russia. You said you're orthodox. What does that mean in, for you? You're a Christian leader by your own description. So what effect does that have on you? You know, as I already mentioned in 988, Prince Vladimir himself was baptized following the example of his grandmother, Princess Olga, 
Then he baptized his squad. And then, gradually, over the course of several years, he baptized all the Rus. It was a lengthy process, from pagans to Christians. It took many years. But in the end, this orthodoxy, Eastern Christianity, deeply rooted itself in the consciousness of the Russian people. When Russia expanded and absorbed other nations who profess Islam, Buddhism, and Judaism, Russia has always been very loyal to those people who profess other religions. This is her strength. This is absolutely clear. And the fact is that the main postulates, main values are very similar, not to say the same, in all world religions I've just mentioned, and which are the traditional religions of the Russian Federation, Russia. By the way, Russian authorities were always very careful about the culture and religion of those people who came into the Russian Empire. This, in my opinion, forms the basis of both security and stability of the Russian statehood. All the peoples inhabiting Russia basically consider it their motherhood. If, say, people move over to you or to Europe from Latin America, an even clearer and more understandable example, people come, but yet they have come to you or to European countries from their historical homeland. And people who profess different religions in Russia consider Russia their motherland. They have no other motherland. We are together. This is one big family, and our traditional values are very similar. I've just mentioned one big family, but everyone has his, her own family. And this is the basis of our society. And if we say that the motherland and the family are specifically connected with each other, it is indeed the case, since it is impossible to ensure a normal future for our children and our families unless we ensure a normal, sustainable future for the entire country, for the motherland. That is why patriotic sentiment is so strong in Russia. But can I, can I say that the, the one way in which the religions are different is that Christianity is specifically a nonviolent religion? Jesus says, turn the other cheek, don't kill. How can a leader who has to kill of any country, how can a leader be a Christian? How do you reconcile that to yourself? It is very easy when it comes to protecting oneself and one's family, one's homeland. We won't attack anyone. When did the developments in Ukraine start? Since the coup d'etat and the hostilities in Donbass began, that's when they started. And we're protecting our people, ourselves, our homeland and our future. As for religion in general, you know, it's not about external manifestations. It's not about going to church every day or banging your head on the floor. It is in the heart. And our culture is so human-oriented. 
Dostoevsky, who was very well known in the West and the genius of Russian culture, Russian literature, spoke a lot about this, about the Russian soul. After all, Western society is more pragmatic. Russian people think more about the eternal, about moral values. I don't know, maybe you won't agree with me, but Western culture is more pragmatic after all. I'm not saying this is bad. It makes it possible for today's golden billion to achieve good success in production, even in science and so on. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that we kind of look the same. But our well, so, minds so are do you see the different. supernatural at work as you look out across what's happening in the world now? Do you see God at work? Do you ever think to yourself, these are forces that are not human? No, to be honest, I don't think so. My opinion is that the development of the world community is in accordance with the inherent laws, and those laws are what they are. It's always been this way in the history of mankind. Some nations and countries rose, became stronger and more numerous, and then left the international stage, losing the status they had accustomed to. There's probably no need for me to give examples, but we could start with the Genghis Khan and Horde Conquerors, the Golden Horde, and then end with the Roman Empire. It seems that there has never been anything like the Roman Empire in the history of mankind. Nevertheless, the potential of the barbarians gradually grew, as did their population. In general, the barbarians were getting stronger and begun to develop economically, as we would say today. This eventually led to the collapse of the Roman Empire and the regime imposed by the Romans. However, it took five centuries for the Roman Empire to fall apart. The difference with what is happening now is that all the processes of change are happening at a much faster pace than in Roman times. So when does the AI empire start, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> You're asking increasingly more complicated questions. To answer them, you need to be an expert in big numbers, big data and AI. Mankind is currently facing many threats. Due to the genetic researches, it is now possible to create a superhuman, a specialized human being, a genetically engineered athlete, scientist, military man. There are reports that Elon Musk has already had a chip implanted in the human brain in the USA. What do you think of that? Well, I think there's no stopping Elon Musk. He will do as he sees fit. Nevertheless, 
You need to find some common ground with him, search for ways to persuade him. I think he's a smart person, I truly believe he is. So you need to reach an agreement with him because this process needs to be formalized and subjected to certain rules. Humanity has to consider what is going to happen due to the newest development in genetics or in AI. One can make an approximate prediction of what will happen. Once mankind felt an existential threat coming from nuclear weapons, all nuclear nations began to come to terms with one another since they realized the negligent use of nuclear weaponry could drive humanity to extinction. It is impossible to stop research in genetics or AI today, just as it was impossible to stop the use of gunpowder back in the day. But as soon as we realize that the threat comes from unbridled and uncontrolled development of AI or genetics or any other field, the time will come to reach an international agreement on how to regulate these things. I, I appreciate all the time uh, you've given us. I just got to ask you one last question, and that's about someone who's very famous in the United States, probably not here. Evan Gershkovitz, who's the Wall Street Journal reporter, he's 32, um, and he's been in prison for almost a year. Uh, this is a huge story in the United States, and I just want to ask you directly, without getting into the details of it or your version of what happened, if as a sign of your decency, you would be willing to release him to us and we'll bring him back to the United States. <sighs> We have done so many gestures of goodwill out of decency that I think we have run out of them. We have never seen anyone reciprocate to us in a similar manner. However, in theory, we can say that we do not rule out that we can do that if our partners take reciprocal steps. When I talk about the partners, I, first of all, refer to special services. Special services are in contact with one another. They are talking about the matter in question. There is no taboo to settle this issue. We are willing to solve it. But there are certain terms being discussed via special services channels. I believe an agreement can be reached. So typically, I mean, this stuff has happened for obviously centuries. One country catches another spy within its borders. It trades it for one of its own intel guys in another country. I think what makes it, and it's not my business, but what makes this difference is the guy's obviously not a spy, he's a kid. And maybe he was breaking your law in some way, but he's not a super spy. And everybody knows that. And he's being held hostage in exchange, which is true. With respect, it's true. And everyone knows it's true. So maybe he's in a different category. Maybe it's not fair to ask for, you know, somebody else in exchange for letting him out. Maybe it degrades Russia to do that. 
Вы знаете, ну, можно как угодно говорить, что такое шпион, что не шпион. You know, you can give different interpretations to what constitutes a spy, but there are certain things provided by law. If person gets secret information and does that in conspiratorial manner, then this is a qualified as espionage. And that is exactly what he was doing. He was receiving classified confidential information and he did it covertly. Maybe he did that out of carelessness or his own initiative. Considering the sheer fact this is qualified as espionage, the fact has been proven as he was caught red-handed when he was receiving this information. If it had been some far-fetched excuse, some fabrication, something not proven, it would have been a different story then. But he was caught red-handed when he was secretly getting confidential information. What is it then? But are you suggesting that he was working for the U.S. government or NATO, or he was just a reporter who was given material he wasn't supposed to have? Those seem like very different, very different things. I don't know who he was working for, but I would like to reiterate that getting classified information in secret is called espionage, and he was working for the U.S. Special Services, some other agencies. I don't think he was working for Monaco, as Monaco is hardly interested in getting that information. It is up to special services to come to an agreement. Some groundwork has been laid. There are people who, in our view, are not connected with special services. Let me tell you a story about a person serving a sentence in an allied country of the U.S. That person, due to patriotic sentiments, eliminated a bandit in one of the European capitals. During the events in the Caucasus, do you know what he was doing? I don't want to say that, but I will do it anyway. He was laying our soldiers, taken prisoner, on the road and then drove his car over their heads. What kind of person is that? Can he even be called human? But there was a patriot who eliminated him in one of the European capitals. Whether he did it of his own volition or not, that is a different question. Yeah, but Evan, that. I mean, that's a completely different... I mean, I mean this is a 32-year-old like, newspaper He committed something different. He's not just a journalist. I reiterate, he's a journalist who was secretly getting confidential information. Yes, it is different, but still, I'm talking about other people who are essentially controlled by the U.S. authorities, wherever they are serving a sentence. There is an ongoing dialogue between the special services. This has to be resolved in a calm, responsible and professional manner. They are keeping in touch, so let them do their work. I do not rule out that the person you refer to, Mr. Gershkovitz, may return to his motherland. By the end of the day, it does not make any sense to keep him in prison in Russia. We want the U.S. Special Services to think about how they can contribute to achieving the goals our Special Services are pursuing. 
We are ready to talk. Moreover, the talks are underway. And there have been many successful examples of these talks crowned with success. Probably this is going to be crowned with success as well. But we have to come to an agreement. I hope you let him out. Mr. President, thank you. I also want him to return to his homeland at last. I'm absolutely sincere. But let me say once again, the dialogue continues. The more public we render things of this nature, the more difficult it becomes to resolve them. Everything has to be done in calm manner. I wonder if that's, I wonder if that's true with the, with the war, though, also. I mean, I just want to, I guess I want to ask one more question, which is, and maybe you don't want to say so for strategic reasons, but are you worried that what's happening in Ukraine could lead to something much larger and much more horrible? And how motivated are you just to call the U.S. government and say, let's come to terms? I already said that we did not refuse to talk. We are willing to negotiate. It is the Western side, and Ukraine is obviously a satellite state of the U.S. It is evident. I do not want you to take it as if I am looking for a strong word or an insult, but we both understand what is happening. The financial support, 72 billion U.S. dollars, was provided. Germany ranks second, then other European countries come. Dozens of billions of U.S. dollars are going to Ukraine. There's a huge influx of weapons. In this case, you should tell the current Ukrainian leadership to stop and come to negotiating table, rescind this absurd decree. We did not refuse. Sure, but you already said it. I didn't think you meant it as an insult because you already said correctly, it's been reported that Ukraine was prevented from negotiating a peace settlement by the former British Prime Minister acting on behalf of the Biden administration. So, of course, they're a satellite. Big countries control small countries. That's not new. And that's why I asked about dealing directly with the Biden administration, which is making these decisions, not President Zelensky of Ukraine. Well, if the Zelensky administration in Ukraine refused to negotiate, I assume they did it under the instruction from Washington. If Washington believes it to be the wrong decision, let it abandon it. Let it find a delicate excuse so that no one is insulted. Let it come up with a way out. It was not us who made this decision, it was them. So let them go back on it. That is it. However, they made the wrong decision, and now we have to look for a way out of the situation to correct their mistakes. They did it, so let them correct it themselves. We support this. So I just want to make sure I'm not misunderstanding what you're saying. I don't think that I am. I think you're saying you want a negotiated settlement to what's happening in Ukraine. Right. And we made it. We prepared the huge document in Istanbul that was initialed by the head of the Ukrainian delegation. He affixed his signature to some of the provisions, not to all of it. 
He put his signature and then he himself said, we were ready to sign it and the war would have been over long ago, 18 months ago. However, Prime Minister Johnson came, talked us out of it, and we missed that chance. Well, you missed it, you made a mistake, let them get back to that, that is all. Why do we have to bother ourselves and correct somebody else's mistakes? I know one can say it is our mistake. It was us who intensified the situation and decided to put an end to the war that started in 2014 in Donbass. As I have already said, by means of weapons. Let me get back to furthering history. I already told you this. We were just discussing it. Let us go back to 1991, when we were promised that NATO would not expand. To 2008, when the doors to NATO opened to the declaration of state sovereignty of Ukraine, declaring Ukraine a neutral state. Let us go back to the fact that NATO and U.S. military bases started to appear on the territory of Ukraine, creating threats to us. Let us go back to coup d'etat in Ukraine in 2014. It is pointless, though, isn't it? We may go back and forth endlessly, but they stop negotiations. Is it a mistake? Yes. Correct it. We are ready. What else is needed? Do you think it's too humiliating at this point for NATO to accept Russian control of what was two years ago Ukrainian territory? I said, uh, let them think how to do it with dignity. There are options if there is a will. Up until now, there has been the uproar and screaming about inflicting a strategic defeat on Russia on the battlefield. Now they are apparently coming to realize that it is difficult to achieve, if possible at all. In my opinion, it is impossible by definition. It is never going to happen. It seems to me that now, those who are in power in the West have come to realize this as well. If so, if the realization has set in, they have to think what to do next. We are ready for this dialogue. Would you be willing to say, congratulations, NATO, you won, and just keep the situation where it is now? You know, it is a subject matter for the negotiations. No one is willing to conduct or, to put it more accurately, they are willing but do not know how to do it. I know they want to. It is not just I see it, but I know they do want it. But they are struggling to understand how to do it. They have driven the situation to the point where we are at. It is not us who have done that. It is our partners, opponents who have done that. Well, now let them think how to reverse the situation. We're not against it. It would be funny if it were not so sad. This endless mobilization in Ukraine, the hysteria, the domestic problems, sooner or later it will result in agreement. You know, this probably sounds strange given the current situation. But the relations between the two peoples will be rebuilt anyway.
It will take a lot of time, but they will heal. I'll give you very unusual examples. There is a combat encounter on the battlefield. Here is a specific example. Ukrainian soldiers got encircled. This is an example from real life. Our soldiers were shouting to them, there is no chance, surrender yourselves, come out and you will be alive. Suddenly, the Ukrainian soldiers were screaming from there in Russian, perfect Russian, saying, Russians do not surrender, and all of them perished. They still identify themselves as Russian. What is happening is, to a certain extent, an element of a civil war. Everyone in the West thinks that the Russian people have been split by hostilities forever. No, they will be reunited. The unity is still there. Why are the Ukrainian authorities dismantling the Ukrainian Orthodox Church? Because it brings together not only the territory, it brings together our souls. No one will be able to separate the soul. Shall we end here, or is there anything else? No, I think that's great. Thank you, Mr. President. Free speech is bigger than any one All right, there you go, ladies and gentlemen, the entire Tucker Carlson-Vladimir Putin interview. It's up on band.video, or it will be shortly, of course. TuckerCarlson.com is the source, and, and he's an American patriot. He's a true journalist. Of course, he didn't even put that behind his paywall with his network, where he's now doing his own work. And I'm hesitant to respond at this point. It might be more wise and noble to kind of let it sink in and let some of the clips manifest. Because really what you have there is a long-form interview that if if Putin did that interview with anybody else, they'd chop up that two-hour-plus interview and turn it into like 20 to 30 minutes of just the best stuff or the stuff they want to be seen. Tucker Carlson is a guy who really goes off of flow and feel. He's never met Putin before. He's under a lot of pressure right now because of this interview. There's a language barrier. Vladimir Putin is is one of the smartest world leaders on the planet. He knows the pressure Tucker is under. He knows he's going to be reaching an audience of Americans that he's never reached before. He knows he's going to get to say things he's never said before in in such a platform. So I think he was a little reserved as well. I think there was a lot of stuff that was left on the table as well. Guys, let's go look at one thing for me, though. Pull up the Tucker Carlson Twitter account. And I, I am curious because it was about an hour in. It was about at 3 million views. So, I mean, I'm guessing that thing has 5 million views. And at this point, I mean, we played it immediately. So... 20 million views. So if that's people that watched it as soon as it was published, and and now that the time is right, so if you watched it in its entirety, you could have completed it. 20 million views on Twitter. 
So regardless of what you think about the interview, did it did it live up to the hype? Did it deliver in the ways you wanted it to? That is historic. That's historic for alternative independent media. And, I mean, really, the, the courage of Tucker Carlson, he knows what he risked when doing this. He knows it. And, and I'm sure he, he's weighed the risks of what may or may not happen upon trying to return home. He likely weighed those risks before he even went. But I think that Tucker let Vladimir Putin kind of decide the energy and the flow and the content. I think that Putin kind of wanted to keep it as on the, the even keel as possible, not to upset too many people or put Tucker Carlson in too much danger. There were obviously some bits and pieces that are already newsworthy, already going viral on Twitter. Some of the clips like Putin talking about how he was trying to get into NATO and would have gone into NATO and basically the West Clinton regime stopped him. So that begs a lot of questions. Uh, going into the history of Russia was intent, intentional because it's a history that a lot of Americans don't know, don't understand, and it might give them a better idea of what's going on as far as the war is concerned, but it's likely most Americans won't even understand that because uh, that was a deep dive into history. I mean, that was basically a, a, uh, a dissertation on Russian history. And I think that Putin didn't want to go after the Biden regime too hard. He didn't want to ruffle too many feathers with this interview because he knew it was going to be the most viewed interview that he's probably done. You saw that Tucker offered to end it and Putin went on for like another 10, 15 minutes. So it's not like he was trying to hold back. But I think we need to sit on this before we make too many judgments here. But here's one thing that's very clear. Joe Biden could never. Joe Biden couldn't do an hour talking like that, let alone two plus hours. So I, what I would like to see, though, And he talked about this very, very, again, it was very vague. He didn't want to go too heavy into this, but having a good personal relationship with Donald Trump, beyond just the politics of it, and talking about how the West makes bad decisions as far as geopolitics are concerned, which I think we all agree, but he didn't go too heavy on that either. So I think he really just didn't want to ruffle too many feathers. The most hardcore thing I think has to be when he talked about the United States blowing up Nord Stream pipeline, but we are, everybody already knew that. So it wasn't like he was really breaking news with that. He talked about the propaganda. He talked about the Western, uh, propaganda front controlling all the way into Europe. But, but nonetheless, historic, it shows independent media is winning. 
It shows that the networks, the corrupt propaganda networks are losing. And it gives uh, America a chance to hear from Vladimir Putin in a way that's not controlled and, and contrived. And he had full control over the message, no doubt. Tucker gave him full control over the message, and we saw what he did with it. So now we see the reaction. But I'm sure the American media is going to panic and probably continue to call Tucker all these crazy names. Now I'm looking forward to hearing the response from all the InfoWars audience out there. Of course, InfoWars is live at band.video every morning at 8 a.m. with Harrison Smith and the American Journal and then Alex Jones at 11 a.m. Central with the Alex Jones Show. That goes till 3 p.m. where I take over 3 to 6 p.m. with the InfoWars War Room. We go extended tonight to cover this interview and play it for you in its entirety. But normally we're 3 to 6 p.m. Central, the InfoWars War Room, and all brought to you by InfoWarsStore.com. We hope you will support us right now as we bring you this extended coverage the crew is up here working 10, sometimes 15 hours a day. So help support them and keep InfoWars on the air by going to InfoWarsStore.com. Get yourself the popular new T-shirt, Team Humanity, an easy way to support us, very popular. We also have great supplements. I'm a product of the products at InfoWarsStore.com. Everything there is top-notch, top quality, just like our news coverage is. But, okay, drawing back... From that, because like I said, I, I don't want to be too analytical into it now. I don't want to be too reactionary to it now. Let's let that simmer. Let's let some of the clips go viral. Let's see the response. But drawing back from all of it, in conclusion, what a day. What a day. Huh. You have the... Supreme Court hearing the case to remove Donald Trump from the ballot using the 14th Amendment, even though he's not been charged with insurrection and nobody has. So it's a crime he didn't commit and the Democrats want to remove him from the ballot. Didn't really go so well for them. It wasn't the most impressive display from the Supreme Court. But I think right now it's leaning 5-4 in Trump's favor, if not 9-0. Before, I was thinking it was either going to be 5-4 against Trump or 5-4 for Trump. Now I'm thinking it's either going to be 5-4 for Trump or 9-0 for Trump. So that was a big development today. We had Robert Hur's special counsel investigation into Joe Biden having illegal classified documents at his house, which was actually where Hunter Biden, the crackhead, was living at the time. And the special counsel decided, yes, Joe Biden was guilty. Joe Biden was guilty of illegally taking classified documents illegally holding classified documents, and then illegally sharing classified documents with individuals who are not authorized to see them, but we're not going to charge Joe Biden. Why? Well, the obvious answer is Joe Biden is above the law, but that's not the decision that was made by the special counsel. The special counsel said, well, Joe Biden can't be charged. He's too old, and he has a failing brain and a failing memory so nobody would charge him. He doesn't even know where he is. And that was in the documents. So, in fact, do we want to cover this then? All right, listen, the crew here has already been working all day. Of course, I've been on air since three. Joe Biden, while the Tucker Carlson interview was on, provided a response to this. Would the InfoWars audience like me to stick around? I've got the Rumble 
live audience. We're reaching new records on Rumble Live right now. We've also got a big audience at band.video. Please support us at InfoWarsStore.com because I'm going to keep the crew here for 20 more minutes. I'm keeping the crew here for 20 more minutes. We're going to play this. Joe Biden just gave a response. This is so epic. So the news day isn't over yet, guys. The news day isn't over yet. We are not done yet. Wasn't expecting this, but you got to roll with it. I wasn't even finished breaking down all the news. You also have illegal immigrants saying they expect to vote for Joe Biden. They were told to vote for Joe Biden by Democrat lawyers. You had multiple independent journalists, James O'Keefe and, and Muckraker.News, going into the illegal immigrants' camps with just unbelievable findings. Oh, and by the way, um, do you know what the number one interview in Russia was yesterday? Owen Schroyer. Yeah. The number one interview in Russian news yesterday was Owen Schroyer. Over a million views on in, in Russia. They have got their own social media apps. I don't speak Russian. Uh, it, it had hundreds of thousands of views on their American Telegram channel. It's the biggest. It's it's broadcast on television on their biggest news channel in Russia. And then they gave me the English version this morning, and I uploaded the full version on my Twitter account. It's got almost a hundred thousand views. So the biggest the biggest interview in Russia yesterday was Vladimir Solovyov and Owen Schroyer. By the way, uh, we had great rapport. It was awesome. I think uh, we'll probably be going back on there, and maybe he'll come on with me. It was, it was truly an honor to go there. And then today the biggest interview in Russia is going to be Tucker Carlson and Vladimir Putin. So how about that? Vladimir Solovyov. A great Russian. So uh, you can find that at Owen Troyer, 1776. But I'll tell you what. Uh, the news day isn't quite over yet. Joe Biden gets caught committing at least three crimes. Special counsel finds Joe Biden guilty of committing three crimes, but then says we will not prosecute because he's too old, he's too dumb, and he doesn't even know where he is half the time. But he's running for president. And so let's go ahead and roll it, guys. Here's Joe Biden. This is about... Uh, the crew tells me it's about a 12-minute delivery responding to being found guilty committing three crimes. Oh, oh, and by the way, these are the crimes that they're alleging Trump committed, even though Trump didn't because Trump was president and he's protected by the Presidential Records Act and the precedent in the court from Amy uh, Barrett Jackson, who said when Bill Clinton had the illegal documents, oh, no, no, he's the president, he can have the illegal documents. So that already created a precedent in the court system, not to mention the Presidential Records Acts. So Trump didn't commit the crime. Joe Biden did. He was vice president when he took the illegal documents, held the illegal documents, and then shared them with unauthorized people. Here's Joe Biden's response just moments ago. Hey, buddy. He limps to the podium. Let me say a few things before I take your questions. As you know, the special counsel Amy Berman Jackson. I'm sorry, that was the judge. About their look into my handling of classified documents. No, you were caught. <clears throat> it was legal. You're a criminal. I was pleased to see he reached a firm conclusion that no charges should be brought against me in this case. Because you're above the law. This was an exhaustive investigation going back more than 40 years, even into the 1970s when I was still a new United States senator. <clears throat> the special counsel acknowledged I cooperated completely. I did not throw up any roadblocks. I sought no delays. In fact, I was so determined to give the special counsel what he needed, 
I went forward with a five-hour in-person, five-hour in-person interview over two days. Your lapel pins On October the 8th and 9th. Just like you. Of last year, even though Israel had just been attacked by Hamas on the 7th, and I was very active. Oh, that's your excuse. was in the middle of oh, handling wow. the national crisis. I was especially pleased to see Special Counsel make clear oh, yeah. the stark distinction and difference between this case and Mr. Trump's case. Yeah, you're Special too Counsel old and wrote, stupid and to be quote, charged, and you did it illegally because you were the vice president. He was the president. Mr. Trump's case and Mr. Biden's are clear. This is incredible. Pause it again. I'm sorry. The, the, folks, wow. Okay. All right, look. I'm sorry. I, I, I want the crew to go home. I, I, I'm going I'm to shut up. I'm going to shut up. But I've been sitting here quietly. I've been sitting here quietly. It's hard for me, okay? It's hard for me to be quiet. I'm a bit of a loud mouth. I've been sitting here quietly. I'm going to play this, and I'm going to shut up. We have 271 days till the election. Band.video is going to be your best source for election coverage. I hope you will tune into the war room with me every day, 3 to 6 p.m., because I'm going all in this year. We have 271 days till the election. Joe Biden gave a speech on the border bill, which was the probably highest level of propaganda in, in a presidential speech in the history of this country. He might have just outdone himself in the opening 60 seconds of this speech. Ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the report is that Joe Biden did commit three crimes. And that because Joe Biden was vice president, he's not protected by the Presidential Records Act. He's not protected by the precedent set by Amy Berman Jackson in the Clinton case. Trump is because he was president. So he is just up here outrightly lying to the American people. I mean, a complete reversal of the truth. But in the document, it says Joe Biden doesn't even know where he is half the time. That's why we can't charge him and he can't go to trial because his cognitive decline is so significant that there's no purpose in even sending him to trial. He doesn't even know where he is. So Joe Biden is probably just reading. He, Joe Biden might not even know where he is right now. He's probably just reading off this teleprompter written by his lawyers. But I'm going to shut up. I want the crew to get home. Otherwise, we'll be here all night. So so let's just start it over. I'm going to shut up. I'm sorry, guys. Or just play from there. That's fine. I'm not going to. Joe Biden, here he goes, about to lie to the American people. He may have just outdone himself from the border bill speech. We, and it, we still have a whole year of an election season to go. Go ahead. The stark distinction and difference between this case and Mr. Trump's case. The special counsel wrote, and I quote, Several material distinctions between Mr. Trump's case and Mr. Biden's are clear, continuing to quote. Most notably, after giving multiple chances to return classified documents to avoid prosecution, Mr. Trump allegedly did the opposite. According to the indictment, he not only refused to return the documents for many months, he also obstructed justice by enlisting others to destroy evidence and oh then God, to lie about it. In contrast, he went on to say Mr. Biden turned in classified documents to the National Archives and the Department of Justice, consented to the search of multiple locations, including his home, sat for a voluntary interview, and in other ways cooperated with the investigation, end of quote. I've seen the headlines since the report was released about my willful retention of documents. This, these assertions are not only misleading, they're just plain wrong. On page 215, if you had a chance, I know it's a long, it's a thick document. On page 215, the report oh, sure Council found the exact opposite. Here's what he wrote. There is, in fact, a shortage of evidence that I willfully retain classified materials related to Afghanistan. On page 12, 
The special counsel also wrote there's all another the evidence. There's the photos of the it. The decision to I mean, decline criminal charges the was straightforward. The, the evidence In suggests that Mr. Garage. Biden did not willfully retain these documents. The exact opposite the was found. I did not this is unbelievable. Retain these documents. In addition, I know there's some attention paid to some language in the report. Hold on, I'm sorry. Just pause it real quick. It doesn't even matter anymore. I mean, you might as well just play them. Everything he's saying here is a lie. Everything he just said is a lie, ladies and gentlemen. The special counsel found he did illegally take classified documents. He did retain classified documents illegally. And then he shared the classified documents illegally with his ghostwriter that wasn't authorized to see them. I mean, this is... I mean, holy smokes. I mean, you want to talk about the juxtaposition where President Putin of Russia just had a legitimate interview with Tucker Carlson. And I mean, I, I would say Putin was probably like 90% honest, at least. There might have been 10% layered with maybe just a little, little propaganda, a little twisting, a little deception, maybe 10%. I mean, this is 100% lying propaganda from Joe Biden. This is unbelievable. He has truly outdone himself. Continue. But he doesn't even then, know what's going on. He reads end of quote. A reference that I don't remember. Yeah, you don't remember. How in the hell dare he raise that? So wait, okay, pause it. I, I'm question. sorry, reverse it again. I, all right, you know what? I'm be, I'm being mean to the crew. We're supposed to be gone. So he so so <laughs> the crew's back there cheering me on. But this is ridiculous. So first he says, the, "Oh, the honorable special counsel." Guys, just re- just reverse it to like 29.30, and then I promise I'll shut up. When I see it at 29.30, yeah, 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 because this is unbelievable. So first he says the special counsel found the right decision that I didn't have classified documents, didn't retain classified documents, I didn't share classified documents. The complete reverse was found. Then he says, I can't believe how wrong the special counsel got it that, that I have significant cognitive decline. This is stunning stuff. I'm going to rip the mic out of the socket. Otherwise, I'm going to be here responding to this absolute lying garbage. This is actually unbelievable because my first response to the Putin interview was like, eh, eh, a lot of hype, didn't deliver too much for me. But now juxtapose against Joe Biden lying for 10 minutes. Now the Putin interview is like, oh, my gosh, this guy, at least he at least he t- tells it like it is. At least he can talk. Continue. Page 12. I'm shutting up. The special counsel also wrote for another document, the decision to decline criminal charges was straightforward. The evidence suggests that Mr. Biden did not willfully retain these documents. The evidence said I did not willfully retain these documents. In addition, I know there's some attention paid to some language in the report about my recollection of events. There's even reference that I don't remember when my son died. How in the hell dare he raise that? Well, you just lied about it this week. Frankly, when I was asked the question, I thought to myself, it wasn't any of their damn business. Let me tell you something. Some of you have commented, I wear since the day he died, every single day, the rosary he got from Our Lady of... Every Memorial Day, we hold a service. So he just lost his train of thought. By friends and family and the people who loved him. I don't need anyone. I don't need anyone to remind me when he passed away or passed away. Actually, you do because you Simple just lied about it to both our families this week. Over two days of events going back 40 years. At the same time I was managing an international crisis, their task was to make a decision 
about whether to move forward with charges in this case. That's their decision to make. That's the council's decision to make. That's his job. And they decided not to move forward. For any extraneous commentary, they don't know what they're talking about. It has no place in this report. The bottom line is the matter is now closed. I'm going to continue what I've always focused on, my job of being president of the United States of America. Now, thank you, and I'll take some questions. President Biden, something the special counsel said in his report is that one of the reasons you were not charged is because, in his description, you are a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I'm well-meaning, and I'm an elderly man, and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president, and I put this country back on its feet. I don't need his recommendation. It's How totally bad out. is your memory, and can you continue as president? My memory is so bad, I let you speak. That's uh, that's that's my memory. That was pretty good. That was pretty good, actually. My memory is not good. My memory is fine. That's probably the best he's ever done. Take a look at what I've done since I've become president. None of you thought I could pass any of the things I got passed. How'd that happen? You know, I guess I just forgot what was going on. Mr. President, President, voters have concerns about your age. How are you going to assuage them? And do you fear that this report is only going to fuel further concerns about your age? Only by some jackass on his tie, by the way. I'm not even kidding. We're not criminal liability today. Do you take responsibility for at least being careless with classified material? I take responsibility for not having seen exactly what my staff was doing. Oh, it goes in and points out. But Trump couldn't things use that, that excuse, in my I'm garage, sure. Things that came out of my home. Things Seriously, that is were that a jackass? Removed, not by me, but that? my staff. But my staff. Mr. President, for months when you were asked about your age, you would respond with the words, watch me. Many American people have been watching, and they have expressed concerns about your age. That is your judgment. That is your judgment. That's according to polls. That is not the judgment of the press. They express concerns about your mental acuity. They say that you are too old. Mr. President, in December, you told me that you believe there are many other Democrats who could defeat Donald Trump. So why does it have to be you now? What What is your answer to that question? Because I'm the most qualified person in this country to be president of the United States and finish the job I started. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Why are you confusing the names of I did not share classified information. I yes, did, you did not share it. Yes, you did. With my ghostwriter, I did not. Guarantee you did not. What the it was no, in the investigation. He did not say that. Yes, it did. He did not say that. But, well, let, literally let me did. answer your question. The fact of the matter is, what I didn't want repeated, I didn't want him to know, and I didn't read it to him, was yes, I had written did. a long memorandum to President Obama why we should not be in, this, in Afghanistan. And I was of this, multiple pages. And so what I was referring to, I said classified. I should have said it was should be private because it was a contact between the president and the vice president as to what was going on. You mean classified? That's what he was referring to. It was not classified information in that document. That was not classified. Except he said it was. When you look back at this incident, is there anything you would do differently now? And do you think that a special prosecutor should have been appointed in the first place in both of these cases? First of all, what I would have done 
is overseeing the transfer of the material that was in my office, in my offices. I should have done that. If I go back, I didn't have the responsibility to that. That was my staff was supposed to do that, and they referenced that in the report. And my staff did not do it in the way that, for example, I didn't know how half the boxes got in my garage. Oh, wait, you mean you have a memory lapse? Up, put them together and took them to the garage. He doesn't home. know how boxes ended and up in his stuff garage. That was in my home was in filing cabinets. That oh, I don't know how those dead bodies ended up in, in my, my garage. House. Oh, it wasn't out in like in Mar-a-Lago in a public place where and none of it was high classified. Didn't have any of that red stuff on it. You know what I mean? Around the corners. None of that. And so, uh, no, we don't I see classified documents. You do. more attention to how and the you documents were being moved. And you keep them at your house. I thought they were garage. being moved to the archives. But you don't know how they got there. I thought but your memory's good. That's what I thought. Now, what was the last part of your question? Whether <laughs> oh, but your memory's so good, Joe. Appointed in this case and in the case of your rival president, former president. I think a special counsel should have been appointed. And the reason I think a special counsel should have been appointed is because I did not want to be in a position that they looked at Trump and weren't going to look at me just like they looked at the vice president. And the fact is they made a firm conclusion. You were the vice I president. did not break the law. Yes, you did. Period. Thank you all very, very much. Wow. Okay. This is just unbelievable stuff. Oh, wait, does he have more? Oh, you mean the hostages he's abandoned. Uh-oh. I'm of the view, as you know, that Why is he opening his the book? conduct of the response in Gaza, in the Gaza Strip, What's he has for? been um, over the top. Oh, I think that, uh, as you know, initially the president of Mexico, Sisi did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. I talked to him. I convinced him to open the gate. What is he talking about? I talked to Bibi to open the gate on the Israeli side. I've been pushing really hard. Wait, did he just confuse really the Mexican president with humanitarian assistance into Gaza? There are a lot of innocent people. Is that what just starving. happened? A lot of innocent people who are in trouble and dying. Did you say Chi-Chi from stop. Dragon Ball? Number one. Number two. I was also in a position that I'm the guy that made the case that we have to do much more to increase the amount of material going in, including fuel, including other items. I've been on the phone with the Qataris. I've been on the phone with the Egyptians. I've been on the phone with the Saudis to get as much aid as we possibly can into Gaza. There are innocent people and innocent women and children who are also in bad, badly need of help. And so that's what we're pushing. And I'm pushing very hard now to deal with this hostage ceasefire because, as a, you know, I've been working tirelessly in this deal. How can I say this without revealing it? To lead to a sustained pause in the fighting, in the actions taking place in, you failed. in the Gaza Strip. I didn't know he was a fan of and, Dragon uh, Ball, though, so that's kind of cool. I think if we can get the delay for that... Uh, the initial delay, I think that uh, we would be able to uh, extend that uh, so that we could increase the prospect that this fighting in Gaza changes. There's also negotiations. You may recall, in the very beginning, right after, right before Hamas attacked, 
I was in contact with the Saudis and others to work out a deal where they would recognize Israel's right to exist, let them make them part of the That already happened. It's called the Abraham Accord. Uh, Trump did it. For certain things that the United States would commit to do. And the commitment that we were proposed to do related to two two, two items. I'm not going to go in detail, but one of them was to deal with uh, um, the protection against their arch enemy to the northwest, the northeast, I should say. The second one, by providing ammunition and materials. Iran, who you gave billions of dollars to? Coincidentally, that's the time frame when this broke out. I have no proof what I'm about to say. But it's not unreasonable to suspect that the Hamas understood what was about to take place and wanted to break it up before it happened. Mossad implants in there told them it was going to happen. Is that what you're saying, Joe? Is that what Joe Biden meant right there? My goodness, what an absolute disaster this is. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) It's only February. We still got 271 epic days until the presidential election. And I mean, it is already bonkers land. It is already bonkers land. Honestly, like, it's so strange because I've already got stories planned for tomorrow. And I've got some guests planned for tomorrow. And it's just like, I, I can't even really... You just have to keep your show open to respond to all this political crap. You can't even, it's like you can't even have a guest. You can't even talk about this story. You can't even talk about that story. Like I'm going to have a, a, a lady who's, who's running for secretary of state. She also happens to be a former division one swimmer who's, who's pushing back against men swimming against women. And, uh, she's exposed the pornography that they put in the libraries at, at the Missouri public libraries. But it's like, can I even cover that with all this other stuff going on? I've got Nick Sortor coming on the war room tomorrow exposing about what's going on in Maui. I mean, we got, we got billions for Israel. We got billions for Ukraine, but, but uh, Maui can't get shit. And, uh, but Joe Biden was supposed to go to East Palestine next week. You still think that's going to happen? They can't get anything either. But it's like, how do I even cover that with all this madness? We're going to, though. We're going to do it here because that's what we're best at here at InfoWars. That's what our whole entire team and crew here and all 10 hours of our live transmissions every day starting at 8 a.m. weekdays central all the way through 6 p.m. weekdays central right here at band.video. We're thankful for everybody for joining us today. It's going to be another epic day tomorrow. Oh, I mean, oh, my gosh. You have David Icke going on the Alex Jones show to debate the Elon Musk Neuralink transhumanism issue. Holy smokes, is that going to be epic? I mean, you want to talk about a buildup? So that's what I'm saying. It's like, look at the day we just had. And now tomorrow is like a whole different world. Oh, my gosh. What else is on? There's other guests. Roger Stone is on with Alex Jones tomorrow. And Alex was already cutting a special report in response to the Tucker Putin interview tomorrow. So it's just like, you can't even, uh, how do I even do this? Oh, that's right. I'm not like Joe Biden. I know where I am. I know what I'm doing. I have a functioning brain. And I have the best crew in the business here at InfoWars. So, yeah, we're going to do it all. Are you ready for an epic day tomorrow? Today was epic. Today was epic. And tomorrow's going to be epic. 
I mean, look at that. You got, you got, you're going to have all the response to the Putin Tucker interview. You're going to have all the response to Joe Biden getting caught committing a criminal act multiple times and then lying about it. You're going to have David Icke on the Alex Jones show. You're going to have Roger Stone on the Alex Jones show. He's doing all four hours tomorrow, by the way. Alex Jones is going to do four hours tomorrow. And then we're going to be covering the Maui issue here with the reporters on the ground. We're going to be exposing the Democrats trying to show your kids porn in the public libraries. And, and then just again, all the news. I mean, I got news on the illegal immigration going on. I got news that on my desk I couldn't even get to today. But, but there's a good chance that, there's a good chance that Bolsonaro might get arrested and thrown in jail. There's a good chance the former president of Brazil might get thrown in jail soon. How about that? But let's send the crew home happy. Let's finally get them home. They probably haven't even eaten since this morning. It's been so crazy. Please support us at InfoWarsStore.com, ladies and gentlemen. That's how everything we do here is possible. InfoWarsStore.com. That's how everything we do here is possible. We have great supplements. I'm a product of the products at InfoWarsStore.com. We have water filters. Don't drink the poison water in your tap. We got emergency food supplies. Who knows? The whole planet could collapse with Joe Biden as president. The whole country could collapse. Get some emergency food supplies, not to mention all the great supplements. The books, uh, T-shirts, everything else, InfoWarsStore.com. All right. Wow. Uh, long extended day today. Let's try to get a good night's rest if possible, and we'll do it all again tomorrow. The great crew, the great audience, and everybody doing it all. That does it for this extended edition of the InfoWars War Room. And uh, we will see you guys tomorrow. Get ready for another epic day. Owen Schroyer signing off.